in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone. And with me, as always, is your co-host, the ghoulish Andy Hart. <laughs> Art, <laughs> let me be blunt. Is there a labor crisis in America? <laughs> oh, God, I know this reference. Yeah, it's it's reference. yeah it's a crusty... That's right. He when Krusty like goes back through his back to the time, or and then he had a he had a talk show. Yeah. See, I know bunk bunkers. <laughs> yeah. Well, bunk I know bunkers. bunk bunkers too. Hey, I've got bunk bunkers in every places. <laughs> we got Toby Keith in the bunker today. Uh, Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks. Whoever. Jeez. I don't know. I don't need to know my country music stars. Andy, I need to know. My uh, my metal fans, where are my metalheads at? Hey, where are you metalheads at? Because <laughs> today we're talking about none other than, and I want to say this right, Alistair Crowley. Crowley. That's right. It's Alistair Crowley. Yeah. Um. This is Andy. This is something that is near and dear to your heart, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh. It is. Uh. I actually have a uh, Crowley shaped uh goiter <laughs> in my chest. Very close to my heart. <laughs> uh, that's a lot different from the Crowley-shaped uh, girdle that you wore in your wedding. <laughs> What's that yeah. thing that like they take off their legs? I think you mean a garter. A garter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was wearing a girdle too. Whatever. Bunk Bunkers. <laughs> We're talking about Alistair Crowley today. He is, uh, I mean, Andy, what kind of intro can we give this guy? He's like a cult. Oh, God, I mean, it, yeah, an author, a poet, uh, a mountaineer, um... An occultist? Yes, a, that's probably a, what he's most well-known for. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, this is a person who lived oh. lived qu- quite a life. He, he, he was alive, and it was really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And, uh, well, Andy, we got to say this, this, this topic comes to us from none other than Bunker, Bunker Extraordinaire. <laughs> Patron to the stars. <laughs> Episode uh, hat trick. I mean, how many has she oh suggested? Oh, my God. This is, yeah. Erica this is, Elizabeth. Yeah, Erica Elizabeth. This is a, like, um, there's like a basket of Erica Elizabeth episodes. <laughs> I know. Like, you could, yeah, if we, I mean, there's a whole collection. We're going to put out a separate Erica <laughs> yeah. Elizabeth collection of yeah. uh, episodes. A separate LP. Yeah. <laughs> 45. Yeah. Um, uh, Erica, thank you so much for... Number one, your patronage. Oh, yeah. uh, we are 
exceptionally grateful. But thank you also for this great episode suggestion. Mm, I think this is going to be one that the all the bunk funkers, the haters included, are going to go. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. You think so? <laughs> wow. Even the haters. Even the haters. Man, you know the haters are probably honestly the most loyal bunk funkers because even though they hate us, yeah, they've stuck with it. They're like the Grateful Dead fans. They're like deadheads, but instead of like loving the band and like just wanting to follow them all over the world, they just like just love to walk around and just exude hate on us. Yeah, and you know what? It's justified. I get it. Yeah, uh, that's true. I deserve it. Art deserves it. Mm-hmm. Um, we are. Creatures to be scorned. You love to hate us. <laughs> well, if you love to hate us, you're going to need this next piece of information because it's going to let you skip the bunker intro where we talk about the bunker lore, what's going on. A lot, a lot happening this week in the bunker lore, but oh, if yeah. you want to skip right ahead to all that Alistair Crowley research, be my guest and look ahead. You can look into the future. You can do some, you don't even have to do any sex magic. You can just look right into the future by looking at the episode show notes. There's in our in our episode description. There's a timestamp. It'll take you right to when the research starts. You're gonna you're gonna love it. But hey, you don't the intro. You don't have to do sex magic. But if you want to put your finger in your butt while you do it, it's fine. Yeah, nobody's whatever you want to do when you listen to this show. Yeah, we don't care. <laughs> I mean, do we want to know about it? Yes, of course. Yes, we do. send us an email. <laughs> well, speaking of emails, we didn't get one this week. <laughs> but Andy, we uh, we got to update the bunk fuckers on the bunker lore now. Obviously, last week we mentioned how uh, we have started. We've we've taken bunker to court. Yeah, we're uh, we, we we're, we're entering into a civil court case with with Mister Bunker, the titular bunker. We've petitioned the courts to make this situation right. We wrote ninety five theses and spread ninety five feces <laughs> all over the door, all over petitioning the court. <laughs> yeah, and. Judge Judy, the presiding judge in this case, was right. none too happy. Oh, she didn't like that. We spread our feces all over the door. She said, why the fuck do you guys do that? Yeah. The kangaroo wasn't having it either. There's a kangaroo in the court. Yeah, it's yeah, a kangaroo, it's a kangaroo court. court. Andy, I have a bone to pick with you, though. Oh, wow. Before we get to the, the bunker email that was sent in, we got some uh, special evidence we want to talk about. It, but We've been hanging out. We've been squatting in the bunker right. uh, while this court case is going on because yeah. we, uh, we want to basically take our fair share of it. Yeah, and and plus, Art and I uh, famously are acting as our own attorneys. That's uh, right. We are we are representing ourselves. All three of us. Mister Bunker's representing himself. I'm representing myself. Art's right. representing himself. N- and we're all three suing each other. Uh, <laughs> and it's a, it's a real it's a real round robin kind of a lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. And um, Art and I have to stay up real late doing legal research. Oh because, my god! We you know, as so it turns out, research. neither one of us is qualified to even. <laughs> be a i mean like to even be the secretary to a paralegal no i'm not even qualified to get a library card yeah i'm not (laughs) i think uh you know i might be banned from walking into law offices nationwide (laughs) as far as i know we are also still dressed up like d snyder from the twisted sister music video we're not gonna take it yeah and we're not gonna take it off at all we haven't taken it off Uh, first of all three weeks the makeup has fused with our skin uh, we can't take that off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we look very disgusting. We went to Walgreens. We tried to buy some makeup removal wipes. It didn't work. No. Um, and then, you know, the weird spiky body armor. Um, you know, sure. When we go out, some people say like, oh, there's road warrior, uh, the animal. <laughs> they, I mean, there's these Mad Max looking motherfuckers. I mean, you know, they call, they call art the road warrior. They call me the animal. I mean, they say <laughs> the pig, but but you know what they mean. I know that they mean the animal. They just forgot that he was not a specific animal. Um, 
you know, <laughs> we go out and and we turn heads. Um, oh, no, we turn them. And, and you know, sure, we were asked to leave the Pizza Hut, but <laughs> is know, it the first time? No. Is it the last time? Definitely not. The, the 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 fact of the matter is, it brings awareness to our cause, which is just. Um, Andy, I I was badgering you this week about we need to prepare for court. We Objection. need to prepare for court. We need to prepare badgering. for court. And you kept bringing basketballs. Yeah, I said we need to prepare for court. And you kept bringing me all these damn basketballs. Yeah, yeah, to hit the court. I th- you I know you. You want to shoot some hoops. <laughs> and then you were like, all right, well, you don't want to shoot hoops. Let's go to Panda Express. I said, Andy, not the food court. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, you like bourbon chicken better. Um, you know, Art, the the problem is the problem is not you. The problem is not me. The problem is the English language. <laughs> the word court has too many homonyms. <laughs> well, that might be so, Andy. We need to prepare some more because uh, I think we got a I mean, we have a bunker sighting today that comes from none other than, I mean, another patron, and uh, a damn fine one at that. This is John Hendricks. Yeah, very good looking patron. <laughs> Damn fine. <laughs> so, John, we brought John into the court because John said that they had some information for us, right? Yeah, right. So, we were like, all right, John, you come on. We're going to put you on the witness stand. You read your testimony. We're gonna, this is our ace in the hole. You bunk bunkers, you're our aces in the holes. You're aces in our holes. We got you in our holes. We're going to pull you out like a magic trick. <laughs> Yeah, we feel like we feel like we got a whole deck of aces in our hole. Yeah, and we're ready to flip one out at any time. I mean, we're already dressed like uh, Chris Angel anyway. We look like we look like melting D. Snyder's. So this is what John had to say. So John gets up there and you know he's gonna read. He's gonna start reading his uh, his testimony. Right? He says, "I have extremely urgent news from a source I didn't expect." I got an email from none other than the skunk ape gator hybrid from within the underground facility a hundred of my hundreds of miles below the Tesla HQ. You guys were right. You are hated by everyone. Trying to tell you. Well, you know, um, we knew. We always suspected. <laughs> the email reads this. Andy and Art, I go by Peon Cramaton. Peon Cramaton. Yeah, I take that. Peon Cramaton. I take that uh, to help me sleep at night. PM Cramaton. <laughs> yeah, you Cramaton. <laughs> and I come bearing news of Bunker's whereabouts. The Bunker who has been traveling around the globe and gathering cryptids is just a robot. Mm-hmm. Who's been trying to get a team to mm-hmm. break him out of the clutches of Elon Musk. I have been in the Tesla HQ posing as Elon's son, X. A E. I don't know how you pronounce that. Kyle. <laughs> what is that? X Kyle. It's Kyle. Kyle A E. Just Kyle. That's the, that's the kid's name. I think so. Yeah. He calls him X. Oh, well, it's Kyle. I don't know. Maybe that was X A E A dash twelve or Kyle. Gathering information on how to break bunker out. Elon has created a team he calls the Musky Six. <laughs> That consists of Elon, David Bowie, Alex Jones, Paris Hilton, O.J. Simpson, and Ian Hamilton. Shocking. I mean, the court 
gasp. Our hung, handsome-ass jury. They're all, their pretty little mouths dropped to the floor. Yeah. David Crosby, who's in the audience. Yeah. He couldn't believe it. He gasped. He, ga- audibly he had gasped. to leave. Audibly gasped. And then also audibly farted and had to leave. A lot of gas. And a lot of gassy people. Bunker farted. Everyone's very gassy. <laughs> The court, I don't know. I think the court is like serving beans. Court court lunches. There's it's just you beans. know when you go to the cafeteria at the courthouse, <laughs> they have like one of these one of these old like uh, chuck wagon cooks. You know he's got like the covered wagon, and he's just got a, a cast iron Dutch oven set over a, a an actual fire in the middle of. I mean I'm sure this is very illegal. Yeah, in the middle of the cafeteria, and he's cooking a pot of beans. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I just deposit take a drink. Um, oh, X Ash A twelve, Ash. Okay, so their main goal is to stop Bunker and the Bunk Avengers and spank you both into submission. Oh my God, Andy, we're gonna be spanked in submission. Ooh, by the jury? <laughs> I would hope so. Uh, and take over the podcasting world by force. Do with this information what you must. Sincerely, Pian Craminen. John, I mean, yeah, your testimony was. I mean, brilliant. Yeah, first brilliant. of all, yeah. Thank you for coming. Thank to you, court. To John. Um, John also got gas severely from the very beans. lot of tooting. Yeah, I don't want. I mean, I want to toot my own horn, but there was a lot of tooting yeah. going on. Yeah, a whole lot of tooting going on. But John, uh, honestly, when we when we asked when you brought this up to us and we asked you to come testify, that's right. Like Art said, we expected you would be the ace in the hole. You didn't disappoint us. You didn't disappoint us. You were an ace in the hole. Yeah. Um, now, what we tried to do was, you know, because Andy and I, like, yeah, okay, we might not have this whole legal education thing. We might not be, we might not be accepted by the, the bar association or <laughs> the American Bar Association, you know, or all this BS shit. It's like, but you know, yeah, we've watched a few TV shows where there have been lawyers. Look, I and mean, we knew we had to fucking put bunker under the fire yeah my friends don't call me the dick wolf for nothing okay yeah i've seen a few things that's right i know a thing or two i've seen a thing or two so we decided to challenge bunker and try and you know grill him a little bit about being a robot right yeah you know this is standard procedure anybody anybody who's seen spongebob knows that when you suspect somebody's a robot that's right you get the poop on them that's right so we started singing techno songs and beep boop boop beep boop bop songs around him. You know, we tried to put like quarters inside of him in different ways while he was up on the witness stand. He's of course got those fucking six different birds on each arm. We're all swearing, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I made out with a can opener, an electric can opener, just to make him. You know, your gums are still very much bleeding. Oh yeah, I shouldn't have done that. That was bad. I should have gone for a part other than the blade. Yeah. But what can I say? I'm drawn to the blade. Uh, you know, we threw water on him. Yeah. yeah. We tried to give him like a turning test or something, like the mm-hmm. test to see if he's really human. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, I, I got to be honest, punk fuckers, you know, this lawyering shit's a little bit harder than it looks. It's, you know, you see all these, you see all these dick wolf shows and you, <laughs> you go, oh, so easy to be an attorney. I know. These people are obviously guilty. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is this is challenging. Like, I mean, 
I don't even know that the that the hung jury was even totally convinced that Mr. Bunker. <laughs> they were they were rubbing their beautiful chiseled jaws, and they were they just it's, you know they oh such sultry pensive looks on their faces. It was uh, I mean you know it. it I guess I guess we I don't know if we definitively proved that Bunker was a robot or not. No, um, you know when I think about it, in hindsight, I should have just shot him, <laughs> and that probably would have settled it. But yeah, you a know, robot would totally live through that. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, a robot wouldn't even flinch. Right. In fact, right. a robot would probably eat the bullet and say thank you. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, robots love to eat bullets. I love bullets. So it's appetizers at robot parties. We tried to get some oil, and we couldn't get any motor oil. Yeah. We couldn't find any. Yeah, no, we couldn't find any oil, but uh, we did We did <laughs> some some tow truck driver from the Bronx came. Oil. <laughs> I'm, I'm so fucking lost. Oil. Uh, he showed Earl. up. Um, yeah, he's there. Yeah. I think he's a friend of David Crosby's. Yeah. They were holding hands in the back. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe we made him, you know, it's like, John, you did great, but, yeah. you know. We fucked up. Yeah, maybe we made some missteps in our, our cross-examination. Yeah, we probably could have been a little bit more aggressive. We kind of got uh, a little tired halfway through. Yeah, and, and plus when, you Opened know, we cases. assumed that cross-examination was like crossfire, so <laughs> we were both just shouting our questions as loudly as yeah. possible at the exact same time. <laughs> That's right. So I don't know that all of them got and, through. And of course, I mean, we were also playing the board game Crossfire, and, and Bunker got caught in it. He got caught yeah. in the crossfire. And we also had, you know, you remember that show from CNN, Cross Crossfire. And yes, right. We had that playing. Yeah, we each brought in a TV and played reruns of that the whole time, as right. loud as the volume would go. It it, it was a very chaotic scene. <laughs> um, you know, in the end, I think though, I think uh, I think this was a positive move. Yeah. Uh, you know, day whatever, day one, day two of court, whatever it is, I don't know. Yeah, this How is do they only count court. This is only day two. <laughs> I think it's day two of court. Yeah. Yeah, lots happened in the first two days. We hit the ground running. I mean, the kangaroo. The kangaroo was just kind of just not. It's like rolling his rolling yeah, his fucking. The kangaroo eyes. fell asleep halfway through. But yeah. Um, I mean, I think what we're realizing is that it's going to be a long road ahead. You know that like we well, got our work, we got our work cut out. For I know, us. and Andy, that's why I was trying to tell you we need to prepare for court. We need to prepare better offense, better defense. And you were just saying like, "Hey, man, I'm trying to practice the full court press." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I play I play full court press. Almost all the time, unless game's starting to get away from me, you know, sometimes change your scheme, you know, let's go to a two, three zone. Let's see what happens. Maybe that'll spark something. <laughs> we need to you work on a, our, we need to work on our court offense. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Back court offense. Got it. <laughs> well, bug fuckers. Uh, I mean, it was, uh, I guess. you know, not our finest shining moment here. This wasn't, yeah. uh, we didn't get our, uh, what was it? Two and a half good men, all good men. Was the movie with Jack Nicholson's and a few uh, good men? A few good men. Two and a half good men. <laughs> the ch- that's the uh, the Chuck <laughs> Lorre adaptation of a few good men. Yeah. That's a project that we were involved in. That'll be coming to CBS in the fall. Yeah. <laughs> Two and a half good men. John Cryer. 
And Emilio you want asked, the truth, John Cryer? You can't handle the truth, man. I've got tiger blood. Cocaine running through my veins. I'm high on life and I'm winning. Remember when that was the rage? Tiger blood? Yeah, I remember Charlie tiger blood. Sheen, man. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I drank some of that tiger's blood. It uh, made me pretty sick. Yeah, I should have cooked yeah, it. Yeah, I would imagine, yeah. Should have cooked it first. Well, speaking of drinking blood, Andy, yeah. I think... Uh, oh, oh, yeah, good segue. I think, uh, well, I think some people are going to be hearing blood because we got to do a bunker alarm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We're going to do one that's going to make your ears bleed. <laughs> I mean, they all do, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the goal anyway. Um, so, uh, we have... Uh, this is Three. A, this is, yeah, this is like a menagerie. Menage en trois. A menage trois of bunker alarms. Um, very apropos for today's episode. Oh, uh, we've, got a, we've got a bunker alarm threesome. Um, so today uh, we are honoring uh, none other than star witness and new patron, John Hendricks. John Hendricks. John Hendricks, thank you. Um we are also honoring longtime friend of the program mm. and a new patron. New patron. Gretchy. Gretchy. <laughs> Gretchy. It's me, Mrs. Doubtfire. Look at that, Gretchy. We brought up Mrs. Doubtfire yeah. for you. How about that? And we're also shouting out Jeremy G. Jeremy's Booker. <laughs> Jeremy G uh is um <laughs> up uh, his tier. Yeah, he 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 ascended <laughs> to the highest tier of bunk funkerdom. Uh <laughs> he ascended. He was already a patron. That's right. And decided he could not get enough. Uh just can't get enough. Just can't get enough. Uh so to John, to Gretchy, to Jeremy, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your generosity. That's right. Uh your support is um Mind-boggling. It's humbling. It is heartwarming. Mm. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) We salute you. We salute you. For those about to rock, we salute you. Now, uh, of course, to honor these three very special people, uh, Art and I are going to utilize one of the most advanced pieces of technology on this earth, the Bunk Tech Bunker Alarm 3000, which allows us to play a perfectly synced alarm yeah. uh, to honor uh, these special Bunk Funkers. So uh, today, we're going to go ahead and program the machine. Mm. We're going to play an alarm, mm-hmm. and then we will rejoice. So here we go. Uh, let me see. Let's get a good one. This is I got to kind of figure out a way to like have a threesome on this <laughs> alarm, too. Okay. Oh, this is nice. <laughs> okay. okay. Bug Buggers, Andy was flipping through the catalog there. <laughs> we might have to beef up the volume on the uh, sound effects next time. That's all right. <laughs> I'll put the mic closer to the machine. Yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, okay. So I think we're ready to go here. Okay. Um, so uh, now the Bunk Tech Bunker Alarm 3000 is a very sophisticated oh, piece God. of technology. Can't even believe it. Um, but Art and I are traditionalists, um, <laughs> and we love to do a countdown. Um, it's very juvenile, and that speaks to us. So we're going to do a, a countdown, and then we'll play the alarm. So here we go. Three, 
different sounds in one i mean this this perfectly synced yeah perfectly synced and this machine does it flawlessly such execution the only thing that i wish it did was make louder noises when you're operating it. (laughs) we'll figure that one out because you know in the fx chain we do apply a noise gate to this podcast because it's very noisy and uh Uh, you know why do people like whisper quiet technology i like technology that lets you know you're using it (laughs) yeah if i press on my keyboard i want it to thunder if I click a mouse, I want it to echo. Yeah. When I run a blender, I want the whole neighborhood to know I'm making smoothies. Right, right. <laughs> I want my oven to sound like there are little elves shoveling coals or tossing logs onto a fire. Tossing logs. Well, speaking of tossing logs. Speaking of tossing logs, fire. I am on the open face toilet. That's right. And uh, again, once again, thank you to Jeremy. Thank you to Gretchy. And thank you to John for your patronage. You um, all We greatly appreciate it. Incredible. Now, speaking of tossing logs, Andy, today's topic, Alistair Crowley, uh, let's say, I mean, this What's guy- What's the Urban de- de- Dictionary <laughs> definition of tossing logs? <laughs> I don't know. We all look that up. But I would say that this guy tossed quite a few logs into the fire of, uh, I mean, the early 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> this guy was everywhere, and this guy lived quite a life. Yeah. He tossed a couple of logs into the fire of life. Yeah, yeah. And he, uh, we're going to tell you all about him, all the details. And there's a lot of juicy ones. Yeah, there's some juice in this. So uh, <laughs> let's not wait, Bunk Bunkers. Let's go in there and let's drink some of that juice. Some of the delicious sex magic juice. <laughs> when we learn all about oh, Alistair my- Crowley. What was that? <laughs> my favorite energy drink, sex magic juice. <laughs> By Mountain Dew. By Mountain Dew. <laughs> Mountain Dew sex magic. This uh, this week here on Mr. Bugger's uh, Alistair Crowley. This week on Mr. Bugger's. Do the do. <laughs> Yo, Artie! Who's your favorite guitarist of all time? Or, uh, or your top five? Or a top few? I mean, whatever you want to do. Whatever I want to do! So I have to insert a naturally extemporaneous response to your queries, Andy? Is that what you want yeah, to please. do? Yeah, please. That's what prefer, the script says. I would prefer it if you did, <laughs> rather than me list out your favorites. Uh, number one is uh, pretty easy for me. It's Dimebag Daryl. Wow, Dimebag Daryl. Guitarist for Pantera. Yeah. Um, Dimebag is an easy number one for me. Uh, unbelievably accurate player. Uh, face-melting solos. I like guitarists that kind of redefine a genre. Mm-hmm. And I, I beg you to find a guitarist, a metal guitarist, as good as Dimebag. Who made some of those fucking iconic ass riffs? Um, and those solos are just on another level. A new level. Uh, that's a hey. Guitar song. And Dimebag Daryl also murdered in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> How did I know you would bring that up? A connection to me. Thanks a lot, Ohio. <laughs> it's a land of contrast. <laughs> yeah. 
In conclusion, Ohio is a land of contrasts. But uh, in the in, in the in the efforts of time, I'll just go through the rest. I think number two for me is Jimi Hendrix. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Totally, just kind of a cop out. Redefined a genre. <laughs> cop out. The fuck out of here, <laughs> you piece of shit! Everybody picks Jimi Hendrix. Well, uh, listen, I'm not. I'm a, I think you're gonna find some surprises on my list. And then I think number three, probably Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen. Mm, wow, pretty, okay. uh, pretty fucking great guitarist. <laughs> Another one kind of felt like he kind of redefined his. I mean, they have a track. They have Eruption is literally a guitar only track on an album in yeah. one of the biggest bands in the '80s. Yeah, they were like, this guy is so fucking good. We just have to put a track that's a minute long of him just playing guitar. Yeah. That's how good he was. Yeah, it's a good song, too. Um, Number four, you know, I'm going to kind of clump a lot of guys in here because I feel like they kind of fit together. You've kind of got that, like, John Petrucci, mm-hmm. Steve Vai. Um, oh, God, his, his name is skipping me right now. It's the other one. Um, Joe Satriani, that's him. Mm-hmm. You know... Eh, I'm not gonna throw Yingwei Malmsteen in there, but maybe those kind of guys where they're like kind of that proggy, rocky, buckethead, like these like guys who are like so technical at guitar, they're so amazing at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. And then the fifth spot, I don't know. It'll be like a revolving list. I don't know who can go in that fifth spot. Lots who, of people can go in there. Who, who, like, who would you put in there right now? I don't know. I okay. mean, I guess I don't know. Okay. Tom Morello, maybe oh. Tom Morello. Wait, what was that you said? Tom Morello, Randy Rhodes. Wow. Oh, wow. How funny that you should bring up Randy Rhodes, <laughs> the famous and gone way too soon guitarist who not only contributed monster riffs, but also provided his songwriting prowess to kickstart Ozzy Osbourne's solo career. Did you know that, Art? I did. Uh, Uber Alpha Giga Chad guitar god Randy Rhodes helped make both uh, Ozzy's debut solo album, uh, which was not originally uh, supposed to be a solo album. That's a whole other story we're not going to get into right now because I already go into enough tangents as it is and I'm I'm trying to better myself, okay? Self-improvement is my passion. <laughs> Good thing it's not your profession because <laughs> you'd be fired. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm working on it. Anyway, uh, Randy helped make the uh, albums Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman both generally critically well-regarded, to uh, you know, uh, one of the tracks from Blizzard of Oz is a little ditty called Mr. Crowley. Let's play a clip. Oh, we we don't have a clip because we'll get sued. Sorry, that's that's our producer in my ear. <laughs> uh, okay. Fair enough, Kyle. Uh, Art, Kyle. look. Uh, okay, back up. Plan B. Art, you're a, a licensed and certified Aussie impersonator. Uh, could you do a quick rendition of the song for us? Oh, yeah. Sharon, I'd love to. Sharon. Come on, Sharon. Mr. Crowley. Mr. Crowley bargained the moon. I'm going up the rails on a crazy train. Oh, wow, a medley. <laughs> Jeez, Art, that was great. Thank you. I'm I'm great for birthdays, kids' well, birthdays. And to think you mainly got certified on the strength of your ability to bite the heads off of animals. Well done. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Andy. And I have bitten the heads off a lot of animals. Uh, you got to practice, you know, Andy. You really got to. Uh, you got to live your. You got to be the best Aussie presenter you can be. All right, bugfuckers, at home. Here's a word of advice from Uncle Artie. 
No matter what you do in life, be it running for office, uh, preventing nuclear energy disasters, or, you know, in my case, biting the heads off of animals at birthday parties, the key is, uh, the key to being the best is to practice, practice, practice. And, you know, it also doesn't hurt to neglect your family and other personal obligations. I'm just saying. <laughs> it worked for me. <laughs> Look at all of my success. That's right. I'm wallowing in it. Um, You're now, wallowing. Now, bunk bunkers, you've probably guessed at this point, either because of the discussion or because you saw the title of this episode and you kind of knew it going in, uh, that today we're talking about Alistair Crowley. And we have to address this up front. Ozzy pronounced Crowley's name wrong. It's actually Crowley, not Crowley. Uh, we'll do our best on the pronunciation, but if we fuck it up, blame Ozzy. Yeah, it's don't blame us, fault. haters. Blame it's Ozzy. His fault for being culturally relevant. Yeah. Um. So anyway, Aleister Crowley was an English occultist and a person of a lot of different talents. Uh, we're gonna get into Crowley's Crowley's life and times, but to get us started, oh God! <laughs> the first time you said his name, you said it wrong. What? Ozzy. You immediately said it wrong. I did it wrong. <laughs> oh. It's all right. Who it's gonna be fuck? a struggle. Uh, we're going to get into Crowley's life and times, but to get us started, <laughs> we found a description of Crowley that uh, offers a pretty good summation. This description was written by the Freighter Superior and Caliph of the Ordo Templi Orientis, or OTO, uh, which is an occult organization. We're going to hear more about OTO later on, but here's what Freighter Superior, uh, Freighter Superior Himenius Beta said of Crowley. Cro quote, Crowley was a natural polymath and made a name for himself as a poet, novelist, journalist, mountaineer, explorer, chess player, graphic designer, drug experimenter, prankster, lover of women, beloved of men, yogi, magician, prophet, early freedom fighter, human rights activist, philosopher, and artist, end quote. Now, uh, Crowley uh, did more in that paragraph than Andy and I have done in our entire lives combined. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, you could, <laughs> half of those words wouldn't apply to me and will never apply to me. Um, but hey, uh, you know, that's true of pretty much anybody with accomplishments whatsoever. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you have accomplishments, good for you. We're jealous of you. Yeah, great job. Way to make us feel bad. Yeah. Thanks for rubbing it in our face. Anyway. Let's start with uh, Crowley's beginnings. And we're going all the way back. I mean, we're, we're giving you the whole enchilada here, bunkfuckers, to the beginning, to Crowley's birth. Crowley was born as Edward Alexander Crowley on the 12th of October in 1875 in Royal uh, Leamington Spa in Warwickshire in England, in the UK, in Ur Europe. I almost said Europe. In Europe. <laughs> in Earth. Oh. That's where we're located, Andy. Oh. That Leamington Spa. That's right. Crowley's parents, uh, Edward and Amelia Bertha, were uber religious, and frankly, they were rich. <laughs> the elder Edward's family uh, owned Crowley's Alton Ales, and Edward had already retired on his share of the family fortune by the time his son was born. Edward the Elder was a member of an evangelical Christian group called the Plymouth Brethren. When he married Emily, she also joined. Edward and Emily brought their son up in this tradition, and with Daddy Edward acting as a traveling preacher for the brethren and reading a chapter from the Bible to his family every morning after breakfast. <laughs> I bet it friggin' sucked when you got the chapter from Genesis, huh, Andy? <laughs> and this person begat that person who begat so-and-so, who begat that one guy, and yada, yada, yada. We get it, all right? 
There was plenty of fucking going on in the biblical times. Sheesh. We're rubbing it in our faces, God. Everybody's trying to rub stuff in our faces today. Yeah. Except the stuff we want rubbed in there. <laughs> so, well, all this sounds like a pretty normal upbringing to me. Uh, some people have commented that young Crowley became spoiled by his family's wealth and carried a belief in his own spiritual superiority. He was unpopular in school because he was always studying the Bible, simping for God, SMH. Crowley also had an imperfect relationship with his mother. She referred to the boy as the Great Beast, uh, which is also the name of my monster truck. <laughs> well, another invaluable part of your lore, Andy. You are a professional monster truck driver, and your truck is the Great Beast. Uh, Bunkfucker's little, little peek behind the curtain here. You should see this truck. It's basically just a jacked-up version of the dog grooming truck from Dub and Dumper. And yet, for some reason, they won't let me compete at Monster Jam events. You know there are already several dog-themed trucks, right, Andy? I've told you this. And while you're an exceptionally, you're an exceptionally aggressive driver, you're not, you know, skilled at driving. Yeah, well, just like me at my Monster Jam qualifying event, Alistair... <laughs> Well, just just like me, uh, just like me at my Monster Jam uh, qualifying event, Alistair Crowley's life was about to veer off into the stands and injure several spectators. <laughs> so many people, so many people. <laughs> oh boy, that was a real weird police report. Uh, anyway, for you see, in 1887, when uh, Crowley was 11 years old, his father passed away from tongue cancer. After his father's death, Crowley started to have trouble in school and became openly hostile toward Christianity. He brought up biblical inconsistencies to his religious teachers and even started to rebel against a good old-fashioned Christian morality by smoking, masturbating, and banging prostitutes. He even got gonorrhea! By the time 1895 rolled around, Crowley had uh, taken the name uh, Alistair over his given name, Edward. Now, some believe that Crowley was inspired by uh, Percy Bysshe, uh, Shelley's poem, uh, Percy Bysshe Shelley's poem, Alastor, or The Spirit of Solitude. Uh, here's what Crowley said about the name change. For many years, I had loathing. I had loathed being called Alec, partly because of the unpleasant sound and sight of the word, partly because it was the name by which my mother called me. Edward did not seem to suit me, and the diminutives Ted or Ned were even less appropriate. Alexander was too long, and Sandy suggested toe hair and freckles. I had read in some book or other that the most favorable name for becoming famous was one consisting of dactyl, forwarded by Spondy, as, uh, as at the end of a hexameter, like Jeremy Taylor. Alistair Crowley, <clears throat> Crowley fulfilled these conditions, and Alistair is the Gaelic form of Alexander. To adopt it, would satisfy my romantic ideals, end quote. Crowley headed to Trinity College at Cambridge at age 20, so uh, about the same time he changed his name. At Trinity, Crowley spent a lot of time playing chess and mountaineering. He practiced chess for two hours a day and was president of the chess club. He also went climbing in the Alps every year during college. <laughs> wow. Are we talking about Alistair Crowley or me, huh? Am I right? Yeah. I mean, you ate a lot of Swiss cheese from the Alps. I don't know if you climbed these Swiss yeah. Alps. Yeah, I got sick on Gruyere every year. Anyway, in December of 1896, while on a trip in Sweden, Crowley had a vision that would alter the course of his life. This vision convinced Crowley that all human endeavors were fleeting, except one, magic. 
Now, we're not talking about the secrets of making balloon animals and hiding coins in your butt to fool Penn and Teller. Rather, we're talking about magic like alchemy or witchcraft or communing with the gods. This led Crowley to dive deep into esoteric studies. Now, uh, esotericism, at least from a Western culture perspective, is sort of an umbrella term for lots of different ideas that don't really align with more traditional religious, uh, in this instance, Judeo-Christian tradition, or with more mainstream scientific tradition. Uh, there's a more modern, that's a more modern type of understanding of esotericism, but throughout its history, esotericism has represented ideas that are uh, outside the boundaries of the prevailing schools of thought at the time. Uh, we'll talk more about this in a bit, but uh, but now we're going to go back to Crowley's life. That's right. So uh, Crowley had a vision in Sweden and decided to plunge into studying magic. Now, some people have speculated that this vision happened because Crowley had his first same-sex sexual experience while in Sweden, which led Crowley uh, to realize his own bisexuality. Now, there may be something to it because once Crowley, Crowley got back to Cambridge, he started up a relationship with Herbert Charles Jerome Pollitt, who was also a drag queen who went by the name Diane de Rougier. Rougie. Rougie. Yeah. Diane de Rougie. Uh, they split up in 1898 because uh, Herb uh, was... Uh, was wary of uh, Crowley's spiritual pursuits, but uh, Crowley left Cambridge that same year without earning a degree. Now, after leaving college, Crowley uh, published his poetry, some of which was described as, quote, the most disgusting piece of erotica in the English language, end quote, by one critic. A title that, honestly, I believe has since been claimed by my own erotic Aquatine Hunger Force fan fiction. You know what, Bunkfunkers, you're in luck, because I'm going to give you a little taste. Yo, Ryman, they don't call me Hot Carl for nothing. Why don't you, uh, let me take a dump on your chest. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> I mean, with writing like that, it's, it's, it's really hard to believe that the library burned all those copies of your collected writings you left there. Yeah. What a shame. They're lost. Uh, what's not hard to believe, though, is that Crowley was getting more and more involved in the occult. In November 1898, Crowley joined an esoteric organization called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. The Golden Dawn was focused on spiritual development and taught its members lots of magical traditions. Ultimately, the Golden Dawn was a pretty influential organization on the occult in Western culture, even felt today in more modern traditions like Wicca. Crowley got heavily involved in Golden Dawn and invited member Alan Bennett to live with him. Crowley also asked Bennett to be his personal magic tutor. Bennett taught Crowley about ceremonial magic and about ritual drug use. Crowley was a quick study and impressed one of the Golden Dawn's founders, Samuel Liddell Mathers. This was a controversial move for Mathers because Crowley was a controversial member of the Golden Dawn. Crowley feuded with members of the Golden Dawn, including one initiate to the order, William Butler Yeats, you know, the poet. Uh... So, some of the members didn't take kindly to Mathers taking Crowley under his magical wing. Regardless, Mathers supposedly knew of techniques that would allow someone to contact their guardian angel. Crowley was keen to try out these rituals, and so holed up in a in Bolskin House, uh, which was on the shores of Loch Ness in Scotland. The rituals were unsuccessful, and Crowley went back to London to some drama in the Golden Dawn. Some of the higher-ups in the London chapter heard that Crowley was bisexual, 
and so stopped Crowley from advancing to the next level in the organization. Crowley decided to go to Paris and meet with Mathers, who moved Crowley to the next level. Once he got back to London, Mathers ordered Crowley and his mistress, Elaine Simpson, who was also an initiate to the Golden Dawn, to take over the Vault of the Adepts, which was the London club's meeting place. The, the dispute ended up in the courts, uh, with the London chapter of Golden Dawn prevailing, since they paid to rent the space. Obviously, this made both Mathers and Crowley outcasts from the group. As Mathers lost influence over the Golden Dawn, Crowley lost interest in the whole thing. <laughs> so over time, Crowley developed his own beliefs, building on what he learned from the Golden Dawn, but also incorporating a variety of other traditions. Crowley also practiced sex magic. Now, sex magic is uh, basically where you combine visualization, that is, seeing an object in your mind while being aroused sexually or while having an orgasm. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the secret, but with cum. Right. <laughs> now, we'll get more information on Crowley's beliefs in a little bit, but for now, after his time with the Golden Dawn ended, um, Crowley traveled extensively. In 1900, he went to Mexico. He took up residence in Mexico City and started banging a local woman. Uh, Crowley also claimed he was initiated into Freemasonry during this time. Uh-oh. <laughs> My conspiracy senses are tingling. I'm having a little sex magic. <laughs> I'm having a heart attack, I think. My left <laughs> arm is tingling. <laughs> My pacemaker's going off. Um, My conspiracy pacemaker. Um, eventually, Crowley... Crowley uh, was joined by his mountain-climbing pal, Oscar Eckstein. Now, uh, together, the men explored Mexico, climbed a few mountains, and while they were there, the uh, Coleima volcano... Oh, jeez. While they were climbing the Coleima volcano... Colima. Oh, the pronunciation actually hurt me in this case. Wow. While they were climbing the Colima volcano, they had to abandon their climb because of volcanic eruption. <laughs> kind of forget how eruption goes. She looked it up. Anyway, rip Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> rip indeed. And rip to that climb for Crowley and Eckstein, huh? In addition to all the mountain climbing, Eckstein also helped Crowley further study concentration and visualization. After leaving Mexico, Crowley went to San Francisco and then took a ship to Hawaii. While on the boat, he started banging a married lady, uh, leading to a series of poems which Crowley published in 1903 as Alice, an adultery. From Hawaii, Crowley then traveled to Japan, Hong Kong, Ceylon, which uh, was the colonial British name for modern-day Sri Lanka, uh, and India. In India, Crowley did a lot. He studied yoga. He got and recovered from malaria. With Eckstein and others, he attempted to climb the K2 mountain, the second highest mountain on Earth. The team reached an elevation of 20,000 feet before they headed back down the slope. Apparently, this was not a fun climb. Everybody got sick on the way up, including Crowley, who got the flu, experienced snow, fly snow blindness, and got malaria again. <laughs> Good Lord. What a trip. What a trip. By, uh, by 1902, Crowley was back in Europe in Paris, and there he met Gerald Kelly, a painter, and the two started hanging out. Uh, through Kelly, Crowley became involved in the Paris art scene. Crowley went back to the UK in 1903, returning to Bolskin, 
Then in August 1903, Crowley married Rose Edith Skerritt, who was formerly Rose Edith Kelly. Uh, that name is no uh, coincidence. This was Gerald Kelly's sister. So the marriage had been described as a, quote, marriage of convenience, end quote, to help Rose escape an arranged marriage following the death of her first husband. The second marriage was set up by the Kelly family, and they were pissed when Rose married Alistair. Now, despite the controversy, Crowley, Crowley and Rose set out on a honeymoon, planning to travel to Paris, Cairo, and Ceylon. In February 1904, when the couple was in Cairo, they rented an apartment in which Crowley set up a temple room where he attempted to commune with Egyptian gods. During this time, Crowley was also studying Arabic and Islamic mysticism. Now, in these sessions, Rose often became uh, delirious and at one point told Crowley, quote, they are waiting for you, end quote. Rose explained on March 18th that the they, she said, referred to uh, what was the Egyptian god Horus, the god of the sky and kingship. In the ancient Egyptian tradition, pharaohs in life were the incarnation of Horus. So according to Rose, Crowley was trying to be contacted by a pretty important deity. I mean, this is the king of kings. But you you definitely, if uh, Horus calls you, Horus you comes have to call charges. Yeah, you, you pick up. Yeah. Now, on March 20th, Rose told Alistair, quote, the equinox of the gods has come, end quote. She took him to see a local museum and led him to a stele. Now, a stele is, uh, it's just a monument. Yeah. You just call it a monument. It's like a, just like a rectangular kind of thing. It's a rectangular kind of thing. Yeah. This particular stele dates from the 7th century BCE and was a mortuary stele, like, you know, a gravestone, known as the stele of Unk F. N. Konsu. Unk F. N. Konsu. Unk F. N. Konsu. Yeah, you did an effing good job on that. <laughs> it did an effing good job on on ah fuck. <laughs> ah, well. The stele was found at the mortuary temple of Pharaoh uh, Hatshepsut and was made for the priest of Mentu, Ankh Effen Konsu. I'm sorry, bunkfuckers. <laughs> the priest is depicted on the stele giving offerings to <laughs> Rehar Aki. <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> Rehar Okti. Rehar Okti. Okay. The priest is depicted on the stele giving offerings to Rehar Okti, a combo god of Horus and Ra. So, above the scene is Newt, the Egyptian goddess who represents the universe and is goddess of the sky, the cosmos, astronomy, and mothers. Crowley found it significant that the stele, which, which he would eventually call the stele of revealing, was a museum catalog Number 666, the number of the beast. The number of the beast. From the biblical revelation, Andy, and from a great Iron Maiden album. Yeah, yeah, number of the beast. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, continued performance. Right. Yeah. And moving on. Yeah, Iron Maiden. Yep, they yep. were a band. They are a band, and we love them. Uh, continued performance of rituals led to further contact with an entity called Iwas, who was the messenger of Horus. Through Iwas, Crowley dictated messages which would become the Book of the Law. The Book of the Law announced that humanity was entering a new eon, the Eon of Horus, where human beings would take greater control over their destinies. The eon before the Eon of Horus was the Eon of Osiris, uh, in which paternalistic religions ruled, like 
Christianity and Islam. Fucking ruled. Yeah. <laughs> Rock on, Christianity. <laughs> uh, before the eon of Osiris was the eon of Isis, uh, not featuring the Islamic state, but featuring goddess worship and maternalism. The eon of Horus promised to see religions like Christianity take a backseat to a different type of spiritual movement. Eyewash revealed that Crowley was to act as a prophet and spread the bedrock principle of the Eon of Horus, the law of Thelema, which states, quote, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, end quote. Iwas, uh, via Crowley, relayed this pronouncement from the goddess Newt, though, uh, to be fair, do what thou wilt had appeared before in the writing of the 16th century physician and scholar Francois Rabelais, uh, where his character uh, Gargantua, the giant, uh, founds the Abbey of Thelema. All of the residents of the Abbey, uh, this is in Rabelais' writing, all of the residents of the Abbey live completely by their own free will. And the only rule is, don't talk about the Abbey of Thelema. Wait, oh no, wait, no, 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 I'm sorry. I got carried away. The rule is, do what thou wilt. <laughs> sorry for the confusion there. Um, the Book of the Law eventually formed the basis of a new religion that Crowley would develop uh, called Thelema. When he first received the book, Crowley wasn't exactly sure what to do with the information, and he often resented it, uh, and even admitted to ignoring the part of Iwas's instructions to steal the Stele of Revealing from the Egyptian Museum, fortify it on his personal island, and translate the Book of the Law into all the languages of the world. That's how you know that Crowley really got the message. Do what thou wilt, baby! Woo! If a spirit tells you to do something you don't want to do... Don't fucking do it! Woo! Hell yeah. Yeah, dude! YOLO! <laughs> YOLO! If a spirit... <laughs> if a bunch of dudes on the internet tell you to buy GameStop and AMC, freaking do it, dude! YOLO! Or not, who cares? Don't be a paper-handed bitch, <laughs> That's right. Diamond hands, baby. All right, so after their honeymoon, Alistair and Rose went back to the Bolskin house. On July 28, 1905, Rose gave birth to the couple's first child, Lilith. Aww. Now, despite this, uh, Crowley returned to traveling. He was like, I'm going to do what thou wilt. I'm not taking care of my kids. Yeah. Now, he undertook a Himalayan expedition where he attempted to climb the world's third highest peak. This is uh, uh, Kanchenjunga. Kanchenjunga. Close it up. Now, on this climb... Bunkfuckers, again, I'm sorry. On this climb, <laughs> Crowley uh, argued quite a bit with the other members of the expedition who kind of thought Crowley was a little reckless. Uh, eventually, this turned into a actual mutiny against Crowley and uh, with some of the party opting to head back down the slope. Now, unfortunately, four of the climbers were killed in an avalanche in the process. So the story goes, Crowley advised the group against the route uh, they took, believing it to be too dangerous. Now, after the avalanche, Crowley allegedly ignored the group's cries for helps. In the mountaineering community, Crowley was pretty much blamed for the fatal accident. And the story spread pretty fast. Oh, you know how those mountaineers love to gossip. Oh, do they ever. They need that hot tea for cold nights near the summit. <laughs> they can't get enough. Just can't. Now, after this, Crowley had Rose and Lilith join him in India. He then had to flee the country because he was being investigated by Indian authorities. Uh, apparently, Crowley wounded two would-be muggers by shooting them. Um, so, after, after a quick stop in Burma, uh, which is now Myanmar, 
the Crowleys traveled together across South China until Alistair asked his wife and daughter to return home. Uh, Alistair wanted to reconnect with an old friend from the Golden Dawn days, none other than his temple takeover partner and former mistress, Elaine Simpson. Uh, throughout this trip, Crowley smoked opium, and he and Elaine performed rituals in attempts to contact Iwas. After this, uh, Mr. Crowley traveled to Japan, Canada, and then New York City. When he finally returned to the UK, he found out that Lilith got sick and died in Burma. Crowley blamed the death on Rose's negligence, owing to her worsening alcoholism. In February 1907, Rose had another daughter. Alistair, meanwhile, continued his habit of having affairs. Also in 1907, Crowley was smoking a bunch of hash and late in the year was again contacted by Iwas and received two more books of information. Crowley wrote additional books, uh, which he said were received from a preternatural uh, source. These books, along with the Book of the Law, were added to the scriptures of Thelema. Around this time, Crowley also started taking on students who paid him for instruction in the occult and magic. One of these students was Victor Newberg, who became one of Crowley's sexual partners and spiritual disciples. In November 1907, Crowley founded his own magical order, A, uh, it's AA, but if you see it, it's A when there's three dots in a like triangle and then another A and three dots in a triangle. AA synthesized uh, golden dawn rituals and elements of Thelema. Crowley summarized these practices later in 1909 in a journal called The Equinox. This led old pal Samuel Liddell Mathers, again one of the founders of Golden Dawn, to accuse Crowley of plagiarism and sue him to prevent additional publication of the teachings. The court case made its way to the press and proved to be good publicity for Crowley and for AA, which gained new members. Even better, Crowley won the suit. Fuck you, Mathers. <laughs> Get fucked, dude. Do what thou will. Do what thou will, and I'll fucking take your money. <laughs> In November 1909, Alistair officially divorced Rose because of his own adultery. Look, when the guy said it's not you, it's me, he meant it. Hey, he, he put his money where his mouth is. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, after suffering neurological damage related to her alcoholism, Rose ended up in a mental, mental institution in 1911. In early 1912, Crowley published The Book of Lies, which got the attention of Theodore Royce, who was, at the time, uh, freighter superior of the OTO. Now, Funkfunkers, you might have remembered that we mentioned the OTO earlier. So now here's a bit more information. The OTO, or the Order of Oriental Templars, or Order of Temple of the East, whatever you want to call them, the OTO, started as a German society that was in the mold of the Freemasons. Higher levels of OTO also included sex magic, even before Crowley got involved. When Royce read the Book of Lies, like Mathers, he accused Crowley of making OTO's secrets public knowledge. Royce went to see Crowley in person, and Crowley convinced him that the similarities were just coincidences, baby. It was in the zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Uh, Royce was satisfied with the explanation and walked away sufficiently impressed with Crowley's to actually initiate him into the OTO and to make him the head of the English OTO chapter, the Mysteria, the Mysteria Mystica Maxima, or MMM. Now, that's a fun name. I that's, like that name a lot. That's a good name. At a ceremony in Berlin, Crowley adopted the magical name of Bahamut. Baphomet. 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 Whatever. You, you, yeah, hey, you know what Baphomet is, bunk funkers. 
Today, we know Baphomet as the goat-headed, breasted, winged, fish-scaled, androgynous figure associated with the occult. Um, Crowley saw Baphomet as the hieroglyph of arcane perfection and said Baphomet represented the spiritual aspect of sperm and was the symbol of children resulting from sex magic practices. Okay. Baphomet was a combination of a bunch of opposites, you know, just like uh, a sperm and an egg are opposites, but then they come together from come and uh, they make life and uh, to make life come forth. Come forth? Yeah, come forth. Uh, wow, you should teach a health class. Yeah, you know, great job. Listen, there's only two liquids you need to know about in my health class. Come and yolk. Colleagues, <laughs> yolks. Yeah. Female yolks. Yolk. I got yolks for days. You know, yolks is good because it's the there's eggs in everything. You eat them, you have sex with them, you do it all. Yeah. Um, so after joining the OTO, uh, Crowley got Royce's permission to rewrite the OTO rituals, incorporating elements of Thelema, which was a controversial decision at the time. Another change was the development of anal sex magic that was added to the practice of 11th degree OTO members. But, 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 even with the changes... Crowley eventually won over the rest of the order, and the Book of the Law was even accepted as scripture by the OTO. Back in 1914, Crowley was in Paris. After a six-week-long ritual attempting to invoke the gods Mercury and Jupiter, uh, which involved heavy drug use and uh, much sex magic, sometimes in the form of a threesome, Victor Newberg decided to distance himself from Crowley. During a heated argument, Crowley cursed Newberg. Now, during World War I, Crowley was in the good old U.S. of A. Now, he started out in New York City. New York City. But then traveled around the continent, meeting with members of OTO organizations, you know, trying to spread Thelema in North America. Now, fun fact, Crowley sailed to the USA aboard the Lusitania. You know, the one that got sunk by the U-boats. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, Crowley wasn't on the boat when it was sunk. This was before that happened. Anyway. Remember that ship because uh, it's going to come back later in the story. Believe you me. Now, by this time, Crowley had pretty much burned through his inheritance and was probably living off of donations from the OTO and AA uh, organizations. Turned some extra quiche, Crowley did some freelance work and wrote for Vanity Fair. To earn self-actualization, Crowley continued to practice sex magic through masturbation, uh, female sex workers, and male patrons of a Turkish bathhouse. Oh, baby, I almost self-actualized just reading that <laughs> sentence. You know what I'm saying, fry man? <laughs> yeah. And banana, no! <laughs> so, while Crowley was in the USA, he claimed to have Irish ancestry and claimed to support Irish independence. Crowley also began to publicly support Germany in the war. He got involved in the pro-Germany movement in New York City at the time. Now, keep in mind, bunkfunkers, the USA was still neutral in the conflict and hadn't joined the war yet. In, 19, in January of 1915, George Sylvester Virick, a German spy, recruited Crowley to write for a pro-German propaganda paper called The Fatherland. The Fatherland. Uh, a little on the nose <laughs> on that name. A little bit. <laughs> Very direct. Yeah. Very specific. Yeah, you get, get the point out right away, I guess, just in the name of the paper. <laughs> The paper was keen to keep the USA neutral during the war. All of this pro-German, pro-Irish stuff made Crowley none too popular in Britain, and he was accused of being a traitor. 
More modern research, uh, though, has led some to believe that Crowley was actually a double agent working for British intelligence to undermine the German efforts in New York. A lot of Crowley's work for the fatherland was pretty over the top. Uh, for example, in one piece, he compared Kaiser Wilhelm II to Jesus Christ. Uh, then in July of 1915, Crowley organized an event where he went to the Statue of Liberty and declared independence for Ireland. But this was done just for the press coverage, and it worked. The New York Times showed up to cover the spectacle. It has been argued that the purpose of this stunt and Crowley's work with the fatherland were all attempts to make Germany's supporters look like a bunch of dum-dums to the American people. Some have even suggested that Crowley encouraged the German Navy to sink the Lusitania. We, we told you about it before, and it's back. In this scenario, Crowley told the Germans that destroying the ship would be sure to keep the Americans out of the war. But actually, Crowley hoped the action would push the USA to join the war effort on the side of Britain. Obviously, whatever Crowley's role, the Lusitania was sunk, and the USA did eventually join the war, and Germany was eventually defeated. USA! USA! USA. Great network. Anyway, in December of 1919, Crowley returned to Britain. Again, at this point, he was not a popular guy there. They didn't like him. In addition, Crowley suffered from asthma, and it was particularly bad at this point. He saw his doctor, who prescribed the perfect remedy, heroin. Uh, now, this was back when legitimate doctors, not, you know, doctors uh, who operate out of conversion vans with moonlit Viking scenes painted on the side, I'm talking this was when honest-to-God physicians could prescribe heroin. It was a bad idea, though, because Crowley became addicted. Then in 1920, Crowley uh, uh, moved to Chefalou in uh, Sicily, and much like Gargantua, started up what he called the Abbey of Thelema, Thelema uh, which operated as the headquarters of Thelema. Now, at this abbey, uh, Crowley sought spiritual enlightenment and in 1921 declared he was Ips, oh, fuck. Ipsissimus, Ipsissimus, or, quote, beyond the gods, quote. At the abbey, Crowley was also experimenting with drugs and performing sex magic. Uh, followers flocked to the abbey to experience Crowley's training, uh, which involved destroying their inhibitions so their true selves could be set free. There was also training in yoga, concentration, self-analysis. The Abbey had it all, baby, including so much sex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> A lot of sex. So much. Now, unfortunately, some followers brought along their children who were permitted to watch the acts of sex magic. In another unfortunate turn, Crowley's heroin addiction worsened and cocaine use began to destroy his navel cavity. Nasal cavity. Um... Also, unfortunately for everybody there, do what thou wilt did not include cleaning. And the Abbey quickly turned into an unsanitary fucking mess with stray dogs and kitty cats wandering around everywhere. It's a nasty place. Yeah. All right. And if I can point out, uh, the Abbey was a rented property. <laughs> rented. I mean, I guess when you're doing sex, when you're doing butt sex to summon the gods, you're not thinking about the uh, the security deposit, but rented? I mean, come on! Shush! Anywho, uh, things really started to unravel in 1923 when Englishman Raoul Loveday, uh, one of Crowley's followers at the Abbey, died. Betty May, 
which sounds like uh, like an Archie Comics character. <laughs> it does. Uh, Loveday's, uh, Betty May, who was Loveday's widow, returned to Britain and smeared Crowley and, and the Abbey in the British press, claiming that Loveday died after participating in a ritual where he drank the blood of a cat. May also claimed that followers had to cut themselves with razors whenever they used the pronoun I. The British media was disgusted by the allegations, with the periodical John Bull declaring Crowley as, quote, the wickedest man in the world, end quote, and referring to him as, quote, a man we'd like to hang, end quote. Please tell us how you really feel. And, and not a man with with whom we'd like to hang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was equal outrage from the Italian government, literal fascists at this time, uh, which deported Crowley and shut down the Abbey, which is still vacant to this day. Despite the furor, it's pretty heavily disputed that Loveday actually died from drinking cat's blood. Loveday was a devoted follower of Crowley's, but May really did not enjoy life at the Abbey and loathed Crowley. Contemporary research suggests that Loveday was actually murdered by a liver infection after drinking from a polluted stream. Now, after being booted from Italy... Crowley moved around Europe. He was in France and also got deported over concerns he was a German spy. Mm. Then in 1929, he married Mar Maria Teresa Sanchez and the two soon uh, separated. So a little short-lived. Yeah. <laughs> Crowley was in Libsyn in, uh, in Portugal in 1930. What? Libsyn. Lisbon. What did I say? Libsyn. <laughs> I, I switched my the neighbors, the Libsons. <laughs> I switched the B and the S. Yeah. Bongfuckers, I'm sorry. Come on, bongfuckers. I'm a lover, not a reader. <laughs> Crowley was in Lisbon in Portugal in 1930 and faked his own death there. Uh, he returned to Berlin where he'd been living since early 1930 and began to be introduced to a lot of people in the German far-left circles, you know, like communists. Yeah. It's been speculated that Crowley may have made these introductions on behalf of the British intelligence, actually keeping tabs on movements of communist agitators in Germany. Crowley moved back to England in the early 1930s, and despite the Great Depression, um, managed to earn some money through the good old-fashioned American way of lawsuits. Amen. He successfully sued a bookseller who incorrectly advertised Crowley's novel, The Diary of a Drug Fiend, uh, had been who incorrectly advertised Crowley's novel, The Diary of a Drug Fiend, had been banned when it had actually only gone out of print. On the flip side, uh, Crowley also sued the publisher of a book called Laughing Torso, written by Nina Hamnet. Now, in Laughing Torso, Hamnet suggested Crowley was using black magic while at the Abbey. Whatever the merits of Crowley's litigation, the judge was disgusted by what he heard about Crowley's erotic writings and activities. I, I, I like to imagine that he pulled a Mac from Holy Sonny uh, with this one, where he might have said something like, uh, that's disgusting. Where do they do this sex magic? You know, I can stay away from there. Oh yeah, but where specifically? <laughs> I think I know the reference, right? Is that the one where he's like disgusted by abortion, but then he wants to go to the abortion uh, rally? No, what is it there? Like he and D are the setup for it is I can't remember. He and D are like in some store, and I don't know. Oh. It's like something about like oh, there's all these 
it's some subsex thing and he's like oh that's disgusting how could they do that but where is it exactly <laughs> so i can not go to that place yeah. <laughs> oh boy well welcome back to mr bunkers we butcher always sunny in philadelphia time podcast <laughs> mr bunkers <laughs> inept retelling of always sunny episodes <laughs> podcast and now back to Alistair Crowley now at any rate Crowley lost that lawsuit and had to pay all the court costs so this and all of Crowley's other expenses began to add up and in 1935 he actually declared bankruptcy during the bankruptcy it was revealed that Crowley had been spending three times his income for multiple years Alistair Crowley was a broke heroin addict living in infamy and yet he was never short of followers. Not long after losing his lawsuit against Hamnet's publisher, Crowley met a woman named Deidre Patricia Doherty who offered to have Crowley's child. And have his child she did, with the baby being born in May of 1937. Deidre also ha helped him kick his heroin addiction. In advance of World War II, Crowley was interested in the Nazi movement in Germany. A friend of Crowley suggested that Hitler might even convert to Thelema. Eventually, though, the Nazis banned the OTO and arrested their leader uh, in Germany, at which point Crowley denounced Hitler as practicing black magic. When war did break out, Crowley offered his services to the Naval Intelligence Division, but was turned down. Crowley claimed to do his part, though, by coming up with the V for victory sign, which uh, was first used by the BBC. Uh, it's never been proven, though. Uh, in 1940... Crowley's asthma flared up, and with the ongoing war, he was not able to get his German-made medication. So he started using heroin again and became addicted again. Even with a fresh addiction to heroin, Crowley stayed active in the occult, designing a new sequence of tarot cards and authoring the Book of Thoth in 1944. Despite commenting on the tarot in the Book of Thoth, Crow Crowley did not bring up that the tarot's basic structure was based on Golden Dawn teachings. Uh... Samuel Liddell Mathers, are you there? What's that? Kyle? He died in 1918? Oh. Well, I guess it wasn't him I was hearing. Or was it? Huh? The occult? Right? Huh? Art? Yeah. Kyle? Okay, yeah, sure. Whatever you say, Andy. <laughs> Bunk Bunkers just nod and smile. <laughs> uh, finally, on the 1st of December, 1947, at Netherwood. Great name. Uh, <laughs> great name. Yeah, Netherwood. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's fucking cool. Like a fantasy setting. Yeah. Anyway. Which was a residential hotel in the Ridge in Hastings. Uh, Crowley died of bron bronchitis and heart congestion. Or, for you medicine freaks, he died of chronic bronchitis aggravated by pleurisy and mitocardial degeneration. Wow. Mito hey, that's one way to go, but I hope I go by mitocardial degeneration X. <laughs> I hope I go by mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> Crowley's body was cremated and his ashes were sent to Carl Germer head of the German OTO who fled to the USA after being imprisoned by the Nazis, who then buried the ashes in his garden. Yeah, that was a fairly quaint end to such a larger-than-life character, we gotta say. While Crowley's body may have died, his legend has lived on. Even today, there are still groups who call themselves Thelemites. And even beyond adherents of Thelema, uh, Crowley's work had a massive impact on other Western 
esoteric traditions like Wicca. Crowley even had an impact on the development of Satanism, in a way. Uh, Crowley was often accused of being a Satanist, even though he was not one. Crowley didn't even accept the basic underlying features of Christianity that allow Satan to exist. Nevertheless, he, in he influenced some of the people who developed religious Satanism. Crowley was also influenced, uh, he also influenced the work of Scientology creator L. Ron Hubbard, Hubbard, who was a follower of Thelema in the 1940s. Beyond these impacts, Crowley's tarot is still in use today. His books are still being read. He was even a trendy figure in the 1960s counterculture, even making it on the cover of the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band uh, album. Uh, if you want to find him, just look between Mae West and Sri Yukateshwar. Uh, and if you don't know where they are, just kind of look in the back on the left. I don't know. What do I got to do? I got to draw it out, you friggin' diagram bug fuckers. I you can't look you for this yourself, right, man? <laughs> Whoa, you can't do this yourself. Not even a good Carl. <laughs> I wish I could do a better Carl. I love that. <laughs> Great voice. Hey, Led Zeppelin. Uh, talk about a guitarist that didn't make my top five. Very controversial. Uh, Led Zeppelin also had Crowley Fever, baby, inscribing Do What Thou Wilt. On the vinyl copies of Led Zeppelin 3, great album. Uh, Led Zeppelin member and the second guitar hero in this whole enchilada, Jimmy Page, is a Crowley fan and even purchased Bullskin House. I guess the real Loch Ness Monster is a monster of rock. Oh, yeah. Thanks for joining us here. I'm on a plane. Thanks for joining us here on Hot (laughs) 87.3. You're home for all of the rock classic hits. <laughs> all of the rock and rock with the Loch Ness rock. Rockster. Rock, rock lobster. <laughs> uh, Crowley, Crowley was also inspired. Uh, he also inspired fictional characters, including Le Chiffre. Le Chiffre. Uh, the villain in Ian Fleming's first James Bond novel, Casino Royale, uh, played by Mads Milkinson. In the uh, Daniel Craig version. Yeah, and uh, played by Orson Welles in Ooh. the, like, 60s semi-parody version? 60s version, yeah. Mm. Now, interestingly, it has been suggested that Fleming and Crowley knew each other from working, from working for the British intelligence. <laughs> I bet you know all about that, Andy, being such a huge James Bond fan, and that never comes up. <laughs> Big yeah. part of Andy's lore. He doesn't like to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, big part of my lore. I don't know if I want to get into it, though. Yeah, I'm putting him on the hot seat. Uh, you know, uh, I know that you um, you are a big Daniel Craig Casino Royale fan. I like that movie like a lot. Movie. Especially you like that chair with the oh. bottom that gets your Hurts nuts, my balls every time I watch it. With the rope. Can you imagine? I thought the movie was too long. I thought it wasn't long. I thought that scene where he's wearing the little swim trunks wasn't long enough. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, we, can all, we can all agree on that. I thought it was a little anachronistic too. Okay, there were certain parts. It's like it's supposed Shifa to be. Shifa could have had a bigger role. It's more, you know, technological parkour advanced. scene though. When it opens in the parkour scene, that's very cool. It's parkour a cool scene. Parkour was big, big then. <laughs> yeah, the parkour. Yeah, people forget about the cultural impact of parkour, and uh, <laughs> it's good that films like Casino Royale let us remember that. Yeah. Oh, anyway, so what were we talking about? Uh, so, uh, what? Crowley was a spy? Uh, maybe. It certainly seems possible. 
It's been suggested that Crowley was recruited for intelligence work by the British Secret Service while he was at Cambridge. Crowley biographers Richard Spence and Tobias Churton have put forth that, in addition to other activities, Crowley joined Golden Dawn on orders from the Secret Service to keep an eye on Mathers. Taking it further, Spence believes the whole beef between Mathers and the London chapter of Golden Dawn was all part of an intelligence effort to undermine Mathers' authority with the group. But why Mathers? What did this guy do to earn this kind of scrutiny? Well, okay. There's a couple of things uh, going on with this. First, in the late 1800s, so this is around the time Crowley joined Golden Dawn, there was a revival of sorts in the UK in, in Jacobitism, or, or Jacobitism, I don't know how they put the stressor in there, uh, in England. Uh, so uh, Jacobitism is uh, essentially a, a movement dedicated to restoring the, the royal Stuart line uh, of monarchs to the English throne. Um, so the history here, Art. Uh, after the death of the Stuart Queen Anne in 1714, the English throne passed from the Stuarts to the German House of Hanover, great pretzels, who held the throne until Queen Victoria's death uh, when it passed, because uh, Queen Victoria was the, the last Hanover, so it passed to uh, Prince Albert's house, uh, the House of Saxe, uh, Coburg, and Gotha, uh, which became House Windsor during World War I, you know, because of all the anti-German sentiment. Um, the Jacobites didn't like all these cut dang Germans sitting on the English throne uh, and wanted some daggum folks from the Isles to be in charge. You get me? So obviously, these agitators were not on good terms with the British government, and Mathers was in league with uh, Lord Bertram Ashburnham, who was a militant Jacobite uh, who even had a militia camp on his estate. Very American, very cool. <laughs> yeah. We love the move. Big thumbs up here. Yeah, big, big thumbs up, Lord Ashburnham. Uh, Mathers was also a known Carlist, uh, which, like Jacobitism, was a legitimist movement in Spain to bring back the Bourbon dynasty. Uh, Mathers was a party to a conspiracy um, to arm and fund a revolution in Spain, by the way. And, and so it's, it's kind of no wonder he and Ashburnham got along so well. Uh, at any rate, Mathers got Crowley involved in the plot, which was exposed probably by Crowley, is this, the speculation there. So Spence has also suggested that Crowley's trip to Mexico was ordered by the Secret Service to investigate Mexican oil prospects and that Crowley's trip to China was part of monitoring the opium trade uh, and that Crowley was sent to Moscow by the Secret Service to monitor revolutionaries. All right. So Crowley may have been a spy. That's great. But we still have to talk about his spiritual beliefs, bunk funkers. I mean, we've kind of been dipping our toes into it earlier, but now let's... Let's take off all of our clothes. <laughs> I mean, seriously, come on, let's get nude. And dive into this hot tub together. I hope you brought your towels. Because <laughs> it's going to get wet. <laughs> now, before we mention that Western esotericism, um, eso esotericism uh, is a big tent term for lots of knowledge and schools of thought that exist outside the mainstream. Now, esotericism. 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 Not esoterrorism. <laughs> <laughs> Me trying to pronounce things as terrorism yeah, on your ears. Yeah. Esotericism uh, had its origins in antiquity and, like lots of things, has been subject to trends and changes throughout the years. So, in Crowley's time, occultism was the hot trend in esoteric tradition. Occultism, like esotericism, more broadly, is kind of difficult to define. By the time occultism came around, Europe had been 
through the Renaissance and the Enlightenment. So elements of the occult existed before the Enlightenment, but after the Enlightenment, these occult ideas were seen as being opposed to science, at least mainstream science. Now, occultism in Crowley's day was not hostile towards science. Some occultists felt like the occult was the bridge between religion and science, actually. You know, like kind of like the third puzzle piece of a puzzle that has three pieces. <laughs> yeah, it's a small puzzle, but it's difficult for me. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Crowley's journal, The Equinox, had the subtitle, The Method of Science, The Aim of Religion. So Crowley was obviously a believer in the existence of magic. Rather than seeing magic as opposed to science, Crowley encouraged, encouraged magicians to make records of their magical attempts. Quote, the more scientific the record is, the better, end quote. Crowley also had a pretty wide definition of what counts as being magic. Um, for some, most technology was considered magic. Clearly, Crowley has never met the Microsoft Zune. Burn. Yeah. Yeah, burn. Got you that tech device that died out 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take that. Take that. Also, the Windows phone. You burn. You getting burned, back Wow, I had a Zune. My sister had a Windows phone. All gone now. On the ash heap of history. Now, in Crowley's book, Magic in Theory and Practice, he defined magic thusly. Quote, the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will. End quote. Crowley told Carl Germer that magic is getting into communication with individuals who exist on a higher plane than ours. Mysticism is the raising of oneself to their level. As you've uh, probably already guessed by now, magic played an important part in Thelema as well. Thelema itself is kind of a wide-ranging religion, incorporating lots of different ideas. Uh, Crowley was well-read and well-traveled and was influenced by the Western esoteric traditions as well as Eastern religious movements like those uh, in Hinduism and Buddhism. Crowley believed there were fundamental similarities between Western and Eastern traditions, and so tried to combine elements from both in Thelema. In his autobiography, Crowley said his life's purpose was to, quote, bring Oriental wisdom to Europe and to restore paganism in a purer form, end quote. Thelema and Crowley have certainly had an impact on modern paganism, so maybe he achieved that purpose. Thelema is uh, essentially centered on people finding their own purpose— the main idea is that each person has a true will and each person should figure out what the true will is, uh, what their true will is, and pursue it. Each person's true will uh, is also in harmony with the cosmic will that uh, pervades everything in the universe. Crowley called the process of finding your true will, quote, the great work, end quote. And we've already alluded to, uh, and as we've already alluded to, Crowley utilized magic to try to complete the great work. One of Crowley's favorite magical exercises was the uh, Abramelin operation, which is a ritual that comes from a book of magic written in the 1600s, the Book of Abramelin. Now, obviously, let's talk about it, bunkfunkers. We're going to talk about the birds and the bees. Yeah. Sex. <laughs> we, know you're, we know we're your dads, and this is weird, yeah. but honestly, you'll thank us later. Yeah. Okay. You definitely, you want us to teaching you yeah. about sex. <laughs> yeah. We've neither one of us has ever done it because we've almost one of us, both of us have almost almost had sex. Before. Yeah, I mean so. we're pretty much experts in the yeah. in the ways of the sex. Now, sex also was a feature of Crowley's magical practice, and is considered by some to be an important part of Thelema. Now, Crowley described three types of sex magic: 
the autoerotic, the homosexual, and the heterosexual. Now again, sex magic was combined with visualization so that the sexual magician would use the sex act to focus their will toward a specific goal, eventually actualizing the goal. Beyond this, sex is also a sacrament in Thelema. In Christianity, there's the tradition of the Eucharist, right? Where people eat bread and they drink wine, which, you know, is supposed to represent Christ's body and blood, respectively. Well, in Thelema, you might eat a cake of light, which is a biscuit made from flour, honey, uh, a bremelin oil, olive oil, and the stuff left behind after you ferment red wine and, you know, blood. Right. Like any biscuit. Like any biscuit with you have with your gravy at the Bob Evans. Now, according to the book of the law, quote, the best blood is of the moon monthly. Then the fresh blood of a child or, or dropping from the host of heaven, then of enemies, then of the priest or of the worshipers, last of some beast, no matter what, end quote. Art and I fall into that last category. <laughs> some beast. No matter what. <laughs> So, so really, the best Eucharist in Thelema is a wafer made uh, with menstrual blood. Red Robin. Yum. <laughs> Bottomless cakes of light. <laughs> Good Lord. With every burger. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> and I, I was getting ready to chow down on this big old juicy Red Robin hamburger I have in my other hand when I read these scripts. I just want to throw it away. <laughs> but here's the thing, Andy. Yeah. It could also be made with semen and vaginal fluids. Whatever you have on hand, okay? I mean, whatever you got. Whatever you have on hand. Or whatever you have on your hands. Yeah. Whichever you have. You got a little semen? Yeah, throw it in. Oh, I got some period blood? Yeah, throw that in too. Yummy. Yeah. Oh, let's spice this up with some fucking... Juice from a vagina. It's, it's like, oh, I only have half a can of menstrual blood. I'm going to have to supplement this with something else. You could use semen and vaginal fluids. You could use the blood of a child. Yeah, I'll go prick my kid's hand. Go throw that in there. Yeah, sure. Uh, as we've mentioned already, there's only one law in Thelema. Do what thou wilt. On its face, this sounds like it's saying, do whatever you want. Uh, and it kind of is, uh, but it's important to to understand that Crowley viewed individuals as part of the larger society. So it's not totally uh, libertarian or anarchistic uh, in a way. You're still part of the larger social organism. Uh, theologically, Crowley is harder to pin down. Uh, we know, obviously, he was antagonistic toward Christianity, even outright hostile. Um he once said he hated Christianity, quote, as socialists hate soap, end quote. Is this evidence of just his bad attitude toward Christianity? Or also that he was spying on the commies? Either way, a pretty sick burn. <laughs> now, bunkfunkers, we hope this episode has inspired you to get to know yourself a little bit better. Maybe you should take a few moments for yourself to just think about what you really want to do with your life. Regardless of what you think about the teachings of Aleister Crowley, I think we can all agree that introspection is a good thing. Now, if you're having trouble thinking about what your real purpose is, try and get into the right mindset. Maybe light a few candles, 
put on a velvet robe, draw a hot shower, and really get in touch with yourself. We think if you do, you'll be able to feel what's inside you. We're sure you'll find that there, your heart of hearts, is a desire to achieve the whole enchilada. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Sure is chilly outside, Art. Andy, where's your jacket? Art, did you hear me? The wind chill is 30 below. Andy, I think you have hypothermia. You know, Art, with the horrific chilly weather outside, the only thing that'll warm me up is listening to Andy and Art debunked. Available only on patreon.com slash mrbunkerpod. Are you seriously shilling our Patreon right now? Oh, Art. Laughing at the antics of Andy and Art is all the warmth I need. And for just $5 a month, I get access to all the episodes of the show, behind-the-scenes updates, sneak peeks at episodes, and I can chat with Andy and Art on the Bunker Discord. Andy, we need to get you to a hospital. We need to get me to patreon.com slash mrbunkerpod. So chilly. Oh, God. I'm shilled to the bone. Hey, welcome back, Monk Funkers. Or not, do without will. You don't have to come back if you don't want to. Do without will. That was I mean, a we are keeping tabs on him. We'll know. Oh, we're keeping tabs. We're like we got guitar tabs, pod- chrome tabs, whatever. We got so many tabs. So many tabs. <laughs> Seventy-two tabs of hentai. God. Boy, oh Each boy. Each one more filthy than the last. This Crowley fella, huh? <laughs> Pretty fucking boring life. Kind of Jesus a big loser. Christ. You know, when uh, when Erica suggested this episode, I was like, oh, this will be interesting. And then it turned out to be so fucking boring. I mean, all this guy does is climb mountains and start religions and fucking fight with people and shoot muggers <laughs> and have do drugs Dude, and have <laughs> sex. It's so fucking boring. Yeah, <laughs> fucking falling asleep over here. Jesus Christ. Now, bunkfuckers, I know this because I know you. Well, Andy, I know this because I know you, but bunkfuckers, you might not know this because you don't know Andy. <laughs> Did you just say bunkfuckers, I know this because I know you? I know you all. Oh, jeez. <laughs> My little babies. Um, Give daddy a smooch. Oh, no. <laughs> Arthur Crowley's here. Bring me the child. I will make the biscuit of light. I will make the pancake of vaginal fluid. <laughs> the man cake. I will make the crepe of semen. Um, Andy, I know this about you. You, you kind you didn't get into the occult. Like, I don't want to sit here and act like you were having sex magic. Cause I know that you're a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> we're both virgins. <laughs> I'm saving it for marriage. Yeah. You're, you've been married for almost 20 years. Yeah. But I mean, you gotta, you gotta know when it's right. This is my first wife. I'm saving it for the, for the one that sticks. <laughs> this one will inevitably end. Like I've been around the block, Art. I know every marriage ends in divorce, and you got to be prepared for the second wife. Oh, good. And Lord. I'm saving it for that. 
you kind of got into the occult. You you did this thing where you were like, I want to read the Bible front cover to cover and see what's up. Like, what's up with this Bible thing? And then you did that. And then I think you were like, all right, cool. I read the Bible. And then correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you also start reading a bunch of occult stuff? You were like, what's up with the occult? Um, what is this? I, I had a I had a an interest in the occult um, because... I kind of, it was like one of those things where I... Bugfuckers, I just wanted you to know, this is a man wearing an Argyle sweater, and he just said, I have an interest in the occult. <laughs> this is very funny. Um, so, okay, let me let me just take, I'll step forward by stepping back first. Okay. So, you're right, um, I did read the Bible. Um, really, why I read it, I read the King James Version cover to cover, um, and that was really more of a... Uh, I feel like I'm not a very well-read person, like that I'm a bit of a dummy. Um, arts, arts agreeing, no. not entirely. Yeah, well. Um, but so I, I was like, you know, there's lots of, if you read literature, there's lots of references to the Bible. Sure. And most of those references are like derived from the King James version because that was like the, the LeBron James version. You yeah, the LeBron James version of the Bible, which, uh, much like the king himself, uh, was ubiquitous uh, in the English language. Um, and so it's it's a really like a bedrock book for like understanding, um, you know, and it you kind of get it lumped in, like, especially when you're talking about like um, stuff that's, you know, this is kind of, kind of controversial to say, but in like the Western canon, literary canon. Um, it's like, you know, there's some certain foundational things like the King James Bible and, you know, there's works by Greek authors, uh, philosophers okay. that sort of, uh, you know, are like recurring themes. Like they're things that set up your, you know, a lot of other literature that comes. And I was um, so I read the Bible and. Because I think it helped to understand more, I also read a lot of apocryphal texts, which are, um, if you're not familiar with the concept of apocryphal, like religious works, it's it's things that exist outside the accepted canon. Right. Um, the religious these are, for that these are biblical stories religion. that didn't make it into the book or were right kicked out of the book. And some of these things are like extra chapters for the Bible that right. Like um, Maccabees. Yeah, like that have been part of the Bible before, right. and then they Catholics have, have the Maccabees, but right. Protestants don't have that. Right, exactly. And, the, you know, there's variation between the different uh, sects of Christianity, and also the Catholic Bible itself has changed over time. You know, certain things came in and went out, um, and it's really more like entire books come in and go out. It's like right. it's either all in or all out with the there's book. The, the most, one of the most famous ones, I think, is like it's— these there's those stories about like Jesus as a teenager, like yeah, smoking doobies, you know, yeah. driving around in his Honda Civic with his bros, watching you know watching movies with shit. his friends, right, uh, and stuff. Yeah, the, and those asking when you know one of the pretty like girls in Bethlehem to the prom, yeah. <laughs> You know. there's, there's stuff like that, and then there's no. There's the one where it's G, he marries somebody. He has a wife, right? Right. There's yeah. an apocryphal text, and that's what spawned all those Dan Brown books, right? Yeah. That Jesus was actually married, had a fucking kid with some lady named Mary. Yeah. And then that kid, that lineage is like important. I forget how that book. What's yeah. that book called? Da Vinci Codes. Da Vinci Code. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's, so there's some there are some like that that are um, um, like. I don't know what they, I don't remember the term for it. There's a term for it for this stuff that's like 
almost in and almost out of the Bible. Um, it's like, I think they call it maybe extra canonical or mm. it's something like that. Um, at any rate, it's, um, there are, then there are these other stories. Uh, and I read some of these too, that are like literary works that are based on, um, biblical characters that, but they cover things that don't get covered in the Bible. So, uh, this is like one that's, um, like, I would say this is like kind of an important one, uh, in, in the esoteric tradition, which is like the the Book of Enoch, yes, um, that's a big one. Yeah. Which is which is about uh, it's about basically the uh, the uh, the children of uh, Seth mm. um, from the so Seth was the third son of Adam and Eve. So Cain and Abel, you had uh, Cain murdering Abel. Right, uh, Abel dies. Cain is uh, expelled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then this, Seth is like really obsessed with pop culture and made a lot of animated shows. He's got a great singing voice, but incredible singing voice. Um, his humor is questionable in right. my opinion. Um, but anyway, you know, his lifestyle, I mean, he made a lot of money. Yeah. Um, very successful. Yeah. Very successful. Um, so there's, <laughs> so, okay. So you read the book of Enoch. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess I probably don't need to get into that. <laughs> We're not talking about the book of Enoch, are right. we? Um, uh, but but it led me down this kind of path of like just wondering more about like what is the occult. Okay. Uh, and so I read like not very much about it, to be honest. Like I didn't get super, super duper deep into it because honest to God, it's such a huge like topic. You know okay. what I mean? Like, Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Like even after today's thing, I still don't really 100% understand it. Like I think, I, I guess my basic understanding of this is that these people thought that they could commune with gods. Yeah. And get like self-actualized things that they wanted through having like sex, yeah, and partaking in like kind of. Uh, I guess we could call them uh, not normal. Yeah, outside the status quo rituals like drinking blood of animals and yeah, children's blood. Yeah, and 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 this is this is like part of the thing of all esotericism. You know, it's like Kabbalah is is part of the esoteric tradition in the in the western world um where it's it's like it's practices it's knowledge it's things that aren't part of the mainstream um you know like one of the big figures in esotericism is uh hermes trismegistus who we've like brought up before on this podcast um and hermes trismegistus is this mythical figure from hellenic egypt so this is like the ptolemaic uh, time in Egypt, like when the Greeks were in charge. Okay. So after the conquest of Alexander, so there's, it's, it's this, cause Hermes Trismegistus is this synthetic character of, um, of Hermes, the Greek God and Horus, the Egyptian God. Okay. Uh, and there's like all of these, there's a bunch of writings that are attributed to Hermes Trismegistus. Uh, which uh, Trismegistus uh, means the thrice great, by the way. Um, but there's all these writings and stuff that are attributed to Hermes Trismegistus. And like people formed, it's not even clear if uh, there's like this this school of thought called Hermeticism. Like that's mm. the Hermetic in the Hermetic um, order of the Golden Dawn. That comes from Hermes Trismegistus. And 
this is like one of the earliest forms of esotericism because this is all stuff that sort of was outside of the, um, you know, prevailing traditions at the time. Um, and so these hermetic writings, there's a lot of them. It's not even clear that Hermes Trismegistus was like a real person or, I mean, at least to me, mm. or that these writings are even, you know, there's like other writings that happened well after the time he would have been alive. Um, they're supposedly very ancient, maybe. Uh, the Secret is based off of like this right. hermetic tradition. I guess that's the episode where we talked about it. It seems like that's kind of the big thing is this is this self-actualization sort of stuff. And yeah. they maybe differ on how you get it. Like The Secret's like, just envision it. But with Aleister Crowley, he's like, no, have sex. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's there's a lot of, uh, obviously there's a lot of tradition of, uh, ceremonial magic right um you but know this is not this is not magic like pulling a rabbit out of a hat or you know you know cutting your best friend in half cutting your best friend in half um Houdini. this is you know uh there's there's a link in the research uh which was a clip from uh, a joe rogan episode uh and i know art's smirking and i hear you um but they're talking about ceremonial magic in it ritual magic and the uh, the guest who uh, it's escaping me who the guest is, but um, the guest is saying that there's no difference between like at its very like if you strip down everything like at the very core, there's no difference between sex magic and prayer because they're both rituals you undertake in attempt to communicate with the god, right? And then that 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 sentence right there would piss off it piss can piss off a lot of people if you said that but you know what i heard that and i was like wow like, like i mean I, I hate to be joe rogan and about then it. you immediately wanted to go i were like wait uh, that's crazy i dude. shouted out loud jamie <laughs> pull that shit up get me. yeah but it was like i was like oh yeah like it just makes it i don't know it put it into a good perspective no, it makes sense there, christianity has a lot of rituals there are things like in the Catholic, you have to fucking kneel before you get into a pew. Why do you have to kneel before you get into a pew? I, I mean, we, we talked about it in the, the Eucharist. The Eucharist. I mean, there's a thing that they makes literally, no I mean, sense. Yes. I mean, some, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, some places in, in certain sects of Christianity are like, it represents yeah. Christ's body and blood. Whereas others are like, no, when the priest breaks the big cracker over the cup of, of wine, it literally becomes... Body and blood. Yeah. And they believe that. Well. Isn't that isn't that transmorgification? Yeah, transmorgification. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so it's like I mean, honestly. Don't come at me, CDC teachers. I know you listen. When you think about it, like CDCC. That itself is an act of magic. Yes. You know, it's like if you believe that, you, if you believe, believe that is magic. That what Jesus did in the miracles and the parables aren't yeah. just stories to like teach you lessons yeah you actually think you did that shit you believe in magic yeah you believe in miracles you know Do you believe in magic in, in a young heart's heart magic i'm gonna have anal sex and then drink some little <laughs> kid's blood yeah i'm gonna get a loving spoonful of menstrual blood um <laughs> lord you know but hey, we got we got to bring it back to alistair crowley yeah and let's and let's just say you know real quick yeah, go like, ahead i don't want to make it sound no, like we're being piece. like very confrontational toward christianity with yeah. this and say that that's magic like we're not we're not talking about like that miracles are falsehoods uh and a trick we're just saying that 
magic in this sense is um, like something supernatural. Right. They're it's putting a, it on the same plane. Right. It's, it's, it's like the manipulation of, it's like utilizing the supernatural to manipulate something in the natural world. Yes. Um, and that's, that's really what we're talking about with magic here. We're not, you know, again, it's not, not a trick. Um, you know, Jesus turning water into wine. That's magic. It's not, it's not a trick. It's utilizing it's the supernatural. Yeah. It's not a fool. It, you know, he literally turned the water into the wine. Right. It's, it's using supernatural to impact the natural. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, and I mean, Andy, we got to talk about the other kind of magic this is all about. I mean, yeah. all this fuss over some fucking silly trading cards that you play a dumb game with. <laughs> all I mean, Magic the, the Gathering. I mean, listen, I've been to some Magic the Gathering tournaments. Trust me, there's no sex magic going on at those tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> if it's even possible to be more virgin than us. <laughs> that's it. Uh, we're just jugging with you Magic the Gathering people. I've yeah. never played it. I'm not good at card games. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I love never, the artwork. I've never played it. Uh, I know. I understand the concept, I think. I do. Um, but I've never played it. Um, but it's like... I've we, played Hearthstone before. Yeah. Um, but that's it. I never I never collected Pokemon cards. I had some Simpsons trading cards. Ooh. Now, this... I mean, this fucking... This, this Crowley guy fucking Crowley guy what do we make of this guy um I mean you know first of all what an interesting life wild boy <laughs> okay I, I mean huh? oh I know I think I know where Art's gonna go with this well listen he could have been a nicer guy in some <laughs> respects don't you think um the, the little like do what thou wilt stuff uh you know buddy yeah yeah you 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 talk a big talk, you know about uh, like, hey, individuals are actually part of a big bigger society, guys. But it's like, mm. yeah. you also like left your children in Burma and let them die, and then blamed it on your alcoholic wife, right? Where yeah. where were you? Uh, he was probably having sex with Elaine Simpson while yeah. uh, trying to contact Iwas and smoking opium, <laughs> right? Uh, Just saying. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think there are, uh, you know. Uh, do what thou wilt. To me, what does that mean? You know, to me, it's like the way I see it in the in the terms of Thelema is it's like you have a true purpose, and you have to discover that, and you have to do that thing. Then, you know what I mean. So it's like your your pursuits should be uh, selfish in a way, but it also doesn't seem like it's a you know, an edict to abuse other people, right? You know, like your 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 true will uh, wouldn't align cosmically if it's up directly opposed to the will of a another person, right? Right. Like at least that's how I say. I mean, and I'm no expert on Thelema. I've not practiced it. Um, I mean, what's the verdict here? Like, do we think that this guy, are we, are we going to talk about like, if he could actually commune with the gods, was he a spy? I mean, I think there are, there's, those are like probably the two big elements. It's like, um, is this, uh, is Thelema like divinely inspired? Like was Crowley actually successful in communicating with the gods? And then I think you got to ask, was he a spy? 
that's kind of an interesting angle. Very interesting. Um, you know, when when we first started researching this, I certainly wasn't expecting that to come up. Yeah. Because um, it's like, I don't know, I kind of feel like most people accept that when he was working for the fatherland, it was because he was so, like, wacky in what he was doing with the fatherland and while he was in New York that that was, that was working for intelligence. But... It's like then you have all this other stuff like did he actually was he an infiltrator to the Golden Dawn? Right. Or did it happen did he get recruited at Cambridge? Did he get recruited after he got into the Golden Dawn because he proved he could like get into these kind of societies that mm. were maybe of interest to the intelligence service? And why did he do it? You know, I mean part of me also kind of says like this is sort of like I don't know. There's a lot of other like kind of little elements of his upbringing and stuff where it's like he's just sort of this uber wealthy kid kind of running around town. Yeah, he was basically an aristocrat. Yeah. You know, um, lived through a lot of like major milestones in the in the span of the world. Yeah, like he was an adult during both world wars. Incredible. Um Really did, yeah. Truly, I mean, I, you kind of have to be awe in awe of his, all the stuff he saw, like all the world and all the cultures he saw before they kind of became globalized. Yeah, I mean that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. He traveled. I mean, obviously, very well traveled. Right. Very well read. I mean, I think that uh, in a lot of ways, he kind of uh, does personify like the occult to me, <laughs> where it's like it's such a big like universe right of the occult and like it's hard to like take it all in and he's kind of that way in to me at least like where it's there's so much stuff it's so like almost mixed up a little bit right because it's like it's just it's like picking from this and this and this and it's like to you know i don't know to synthesize it all cohesively it just it doesn't it doesn't work frankly yeah like you know, if you try to like put it all together and say like, here's this like thesis of Alistair Crowley, like I don't think that you can come up with like one one right. sentence. You could easily write him off as like a douchey rich kid who just fucking was like, fuck Christianity. I'm going to go around and do drugs and travel. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'll do whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> and in some ways he lived that life. Yeah. But he also was, he was very well educated and he was very well written and um, well traveled. Um, we didn't, I mean, obviously we didn't know the guy personally, you know, we couldn't, we can't, you know, I don't know. Did he, did he actually have like an, like an, a respect and a passion for these, um, cultures and religions and stuff that he was like kind of running around studying and, and living in and being around, but yeah, maybe, I don't know. You know, it's fair. It's kind of seemed like a troll at certain points. And you know he's from a different uh, a different age, right? Than us now. Like a lot of the, uh, I think more modern critical consideration of his work. Like people feel that there's like, you know, pretty upfront bigotry at points. Um, you know where it's like typical for I think English people of the time. There's like this 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 fascination with different cultures without mm. like actually really respecting the people. Right. 
in those cultures or like respecting the culture itself. Like you're very interested in it um, to the extent that it like does something for you. Right. Um, and, you know, there's been accusations of like misogyny. Um, so, yeah, I think when you say that, like, did he have respect? It's like, I don't know. We don't know. I don't know for sure. It's hard to say. It's like, you know, I don't know if even for his time, was he respectful? Was, I mean, it's like, I think if we looked back at it from the lens of today, you'd say no, not, not adequately. Right. Right. But you kind of put that lens on almost anyone and it's like. Right. If we go backwards in the past, we'll, I mean, and I think that's how it should be. Yeah. I, if we ever look back in the past and we go, oh, that person li- was, this time in history was, people were better than we are now. Like we should probably stop and reassess what we're doing. Yeah. Like we focus should continue on a, to on improve. time travel. Again, improvement, self-improvement is my passion. That's right. Bunk funkers. That's right. <laughs> and I think it shows every episode you listen to me and I get better. That's right. And better That's and right. better and better and more well-rounded and smarter and handsomer. And my dong keeps growing and uh, I keep getting taller. I keep getting thinner. Um, I keep, you know, honestly <laughs> making more money. Um, I keep... <laughs> I mean, it's just, you've heard this. You can hear it. You can hear it in his voice. Yeah. You can only see this guy. When I first met him, he looked like a cartoon hobo. The little bindle. And now, he looks like the Monopoly man. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of plastic surgery over the years. Right. And Art's been with me every step of the way. I come to every single one of his operations. My wife will not come with me. Nope. Uh, She is deeply opposed to my continued existence and so she will not go with me um i do think it's bad um you know about lilith (laughs) yeah i mean that fucking sucks like i mean i he kind of was a dick let's be honest he was a dick he dragged him to india like made him come to india right and then was like get the fuck out of here i want to go fuck my mistress yeah Fucking smoke some heesh. I want to go. I want to go hit hit opium and fucking. I want to go smash. hit the bong and have sex with cool chicks. I don't need you guys harshing my mellow. Yeah, I'm in China, baby. And then he, yeah, and then he travels to China. And he's like, nah, go home. And then he leaves. And then they die in Burma. Yeah, she Lilith dies died in Burma. Burma. And he's like, it's your fault. Yeah, and you know you have to think about this too. This was a trip too. Yes, this was not like that, a plane that Rose had to make. There's no, right. they weren't flying. They were on a boat. Yeah. These were month-long treks. Like, it's sometimes it's, it's, it's like, God, he did so much shit in his life. But it's like, it's like usually when we would say a date, we said a year. Because it would be like, right. he would be spending all this time traveling. Yeah, it's like in 1903, he was traveling from right. Japan to Canada to New York. Because right. it took forever to do that in right. that at that point. Um. But it is, I mean, it is pretty bad. And, you know, he was, I mean, I would probably, without knowing too much of the salacious details of his time as a father, like, it seems very neglectful, you know? It's like to leave, you know, first of all, your child dies and you blame your wife, who's an alcoholic, and you pr- probably know that, that she's an alcoholic. Um, and it's like, well, what are you doing to help? Like, you're doing nothing. You're, right. You, you're, you're on your own traveling. Um and then, you know, you have another kid and it's like your wife gets into a mental institution. So the 
I mean, my understanding is the daughter, the second daughter, was like just raised by au pairs, basically. Hmm. You know, and the one with Deidre? Uh, no, that was uh, Al Alistair Ataturk. <laughs> Nickname. But he, um, some of the research, this didn't make it into the, I mean, peek behind the curtains here, the cutting room floor. It didn't make it into the, to the main research because it wasn't, you know, it's like sometimes when we're like researching, like you kind of have to go with like the highest common denominator, right? Sure. Like I try not, I think we try not to get too speculative. Sure. In some stuff, especially about things like that. But the, some of the speculation is that he was actually a pretty good father hmm. after his son was born um, because by this point he had been like, he'd had a shitty relationship with his other children and, you know, he was a recovering heroin addict, uh, soon to be addicted again. And like he was just living this quiet life in a seaside town hmm. with his family and was sort of satisfied. Getting older, obviously. Yeah, got it all out of his system. Yeah. Just um, wants to hang out. Yeah. Raise his kids, do a little sex magic. Yeah, do a little sex magic. You know? That's what we all want. Little red hot chili peppers. Yeah. Blood sugar sex magic. <laughs> Blood sugar. Is that that's an actual, <laughs> that's actual, actual that, name yeah. of the album, yeah. I think that's the the first John Frusinante album. No, that's not right. That can't be the first John Frusinante album. John joined the band, then he left the band, then he joined again. He's, he wrote like all their hits. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know that much about uh, the Chili Peppers, to be honest with you. The Chili Pepper lore. Long I lore. do always wear a tube sock on my dong. <laughs> That's true. You do. <laughs> I draw a little face on the end of it. <laughs> so it looks like a sad dog. <laughs> sad dog dong. Sad dog dong. Well... Um, I mean, I don't know, Andy. I, I guess we could get into some verdicts here. If there's any other major points on Crowley's Crowley, 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 uh, his life that we tried to, to that you want to touch upon. Jeez, it's so much to touch upon. So dense. It almost it like speaks for itself in a way. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty. Like, I don't know if the bunkfuckers want to sit here and listen to us go like, "Wasn't that crazy?" Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they I mean, do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This was this was more. Uh, I guess this is more like biographical in yeah. nature. The presentation but um yeah i don't know i guess i you history freaks you love that yeah shit. you history freaks you freaks are probably you know doing your own masturbatory sex, sex magic into this um i don't know i think some of this stuff is funny like you know that <laughs> he gets into the oto and they're like oh i don't know he's changing all you know it was like basically like it was just like German Freemasons I know. when they started. Although there was some sex magic, but it wasn't like everybody had to do it or whatever. We have sex occasionally, but it's not a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, it's German, so it was probably weird sex, but, right. you know. Um, we go down into the dungeon and we uh, <laughs> put on the costumes of leather, but it, we have a little bit of sex. I get the sense what? that the OTO, like, when... Crowley becomes like aware of them. It's they're sort of like just it's there was no Freemasonry in Germany. It's like more of a English, you know, language right. kind of thing. And, you know, it's like Scottish Rite is like the big Freemasonry thing. And so they started their own like German Rite, which wasn't, you know, necessarily like a part of regular Freemasonry. And, uh, you know, but it's like that's kind of the club. A yeah. Bit of sex magic at the upper ranks, you know, when you get to start to get to like tw 11th, 12th degree. Um, 
But then it's like they, Crowley comes in and he's like, I'm going to rewrite these rituals. And people are like, eh. and he's like, and I got it. I know. You get to the highest level, ass sex. Got to do ass sex now. Like, I can imagine people being like, okay, you lost me. <laughs> and he like developed it specifically for this purpose. Like, yeah. all right, I got it. Ass magic. <laughs> and it's like, I could see people, I could see OTO being like, you know, this is a great way to hang out and have a couple of beers yeah, and play just, cards, but I don't want you guys to fuck my ass. <laughs> like, look, my dad was in the Elks. Like, I can't imagine if it's like I went to one of these lodge <laughs> meetings and they're like, all right, now's the part where we all fuck each other in the ass. All right, any new business and announcements? Okay, let's start masturbating. I'm not seeing any. Let's, everybody, all right, let's everybody watch masturbate. your penises. Yeah. <laughs> Get in a big choo-choo train and start fucking each other in the ass. <laughs> Put a, little, put, there, put a little fez on the... By the way, fish fry on Friday. Ass fucking after. <laughs> and if anybody anybody is interested, John is selling uh, his used lawnmower. It's still in really good condition. Uh, talk to him after the meeting. All right, uh, ass sex. <laughs> Let's do it. Don't forget, with it. Don't forget to buy your tickets for the 50-50 drawing. <laughs> and also, don't forget to jerk off <laughs> the person sitting next to you. <laughs> I like to come here and have a beer every once in a while. I don't really want you guys to fuck me in the ass. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> Yikes. That does suck. He fucking came in and he changed their little club. Yeah. That sucks. I mean, you know, to be fair, he got permission. He, he did. didn't just do, you know, it's like Royce made him the head of the, the English chapter, the, the, the British chapter of OTL, the MMM, the whatever it was, Mysteria Maxima. Really cool name. Um, and then he's like, Crowley's like, hey. Because we'll fuck each other in the ass? You, guys mind, you mind if I, uh, you, mind, you know, look I, look, I know I I came up with this thing called, I, I received instructions on this thing called Thelema, right? Uh, it's yeah. great, great magic. It'll uh -huh. help you really get in touch with the guy. You mind if I incorporate some of this? I don't Royce was like, like, I don't see why that would be yeah, a problem. Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, sure. we already do a little sex magic. I mean, it's fine if you want to incorporate We do that. a little bit. Once a month, we have a sex magic. Go ahead. And then a month later, he's like writing a letter. He's like, Alistair, how's it going? What's uh, How are the changes coming along? AC writes back, yeah, it's all going to be ass fucking now. <laughs> it's all going to be ass fucking now. It's me, <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried. Um, I wonder if Royce was like, oh, <laughs> or if he was like, cool. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, there was some, there's something about like that, just that join the OTO and then just like put ass sex into the, into the rituals. Yeah. It's like, cause who knows? Maybe the, maybe all their sex magic before was just like, oh, you like. You like pay a prostitute and you sure like do it's like, oh, they have like prostitute night down at the lodge. Right. Which is weird still, but yeah. eh, not a I mean, you know, it's like an eyes wide shut kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like a little sex party, yeah. everybody's wearing masks. Um then he's like, No, 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 no. But hey, you know. We can all have fun with butt stuff. Oh God! Yeah, he fucking uh, he he top he changed the whole uh, system on its head. Yeah, turned it, knocked it on its ass. <laughs> um, so that's all I wanted to bring up. Fair enough. Um, 
you know, verdict wise, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know, Andy. Do you do you have them ready? Uh, I'm still thinking. I I gotta look at the scale, but I'll okay. be able to go. Um, because I think we're gonna. To me, I gotta render two verdicts on this. Yeah, I gotta render the verdict on the supernatural. Sure. And then I gotta render the verdict on the espionage. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Let's start with the espionage. I think that one's a little bit easier. Sure. Um, I'm going to say, was Alistair Crowley a spy for the British Secret Service? Uh, I'm going to say that, or did he do intelligence work? I don't want to say necessarily a spy. There's probably some connotation there. I just want to say that, did he work in espionage for the British intelligence? Did he help him out in any capacity? I'm going to say... Highly plausible. Whoa! I'm almost convinced. Whoa! That his pre World War One activities in New York City were British intelligence related. Oh, the stuff with the Golden Dawn. Golden Dawn. I kind of feel like maybe too. Like like the whole legitimist movements in Europe and the foiling of the plot kind of uh, kind of got me on board with that. I think. Okay. Um, so, but overall, I'm going to say highly plausible. Like, I beyond that, I don't know. Um, I'm not. Sh- I'm not so sure. Yeah, like uh, maybe they like sent him in. He's like, I'll fucking do it. I'll go have sex yeah. magic. Sounds great. And then he gets in there. He's like, I kind of like this shit. Yeah. It's like, was he keeping tabs on communists in Germany? I don't know. It, it would kind of explain why he was traveling so much and how he was able to kind of live his lifestyle however he wanted. Yeah. There's like he was an undercover agent. There's also speculation that he like foiled a you know, or like disrupted a plot uh, for Irish independence uh, that ultimately failed that was also happening during the war, but that's like real more tenuous. But so at the end of the day, like I'm saying highly plausible that he was working in intelligence. Uh, no, in the supernatural aspect. Oh boy. Fuckers. Because what we're really considering here is like, did is this... Is this is Thelema like divinely received? Right. Was he actually in contact with Horus, with the messenger of the Egyptian god Horus? Uh, yeah, well, he was. He was. He was in contact with a couple of whores. Ass. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, Thanks. Um, was he? Was he? Was he? Was he? Was he? Was he? Well, you know me. I kind of, I kind of have this. Be yourself. Do what thou wilt. Yeah. Andy. Do what do thou what wilt. wilt. Case closed. Uh, wow. I'm almost. I am. I am the baphomet of verdicts today, almost, because <laughs> uh, I am highly plausible in case closed. Um, opposites attract here on Mister Bunker's conspiracy time. I just, you know me. I don't. I don't. You're not a religion tell, guy. You know the fact that that Robelet had this. Um, or Rabelais had this, uh, this, uh, this literature that was written uh, ahead of time. Like Crowley's really well read. Like I, I, I am so certain that he read Rabelais, um, you know, Gargantua and whatever the other giant's name is. He probably read these, and these were works of fiction. Big, big guy. Yeah, the big giant boys. Big giant boys. Which I think is the, <laughs> the translation. Jolly green giant. The big giant boys is the French translation from France. But you know. Uh, Rabelais was writing this as like satire on his time. He was, he was existing, you know, 
years before, uh, many years before Crowley, mm. uh, he was like a monk and then he left the church to become a physician. Uh, and he wrote uh, a very interesting character in his own right. But this stuff was like satirical. Um, it was, you know, meant to skewer uh, society in which he lived. And, you know, it's like, there's too many connections there for me to say, I mean, you could go the opposite direction, I guess. Like to me, it's like, Oh, Crowley, Crowley read this. Crowley was influenced by it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it all comes out at the end. Not everybody buys that. I kind of feel that way though. You can also go the other direction, I think, and say like, well, Rabelais is also being inspired by some, uh, like cosmic undercurrent that's, you know, putting this into the zeitgeist at mm -hmm. their various times that they're all, you know, that they're both part of a, the same tradition, just at different points. Um, or maybe, maybe Crowley is reincarnation of Rabelais or something like that. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, you know me, I don't, I'm, I'm very hostile toward the supernatural. Every time you see a ghost, you just hey, punch it. <laughs> oh God, I fucking hate those ghosts. <laughs> I curse a ghost every time I see it. <laughs> yeah. Casper, the friend of the ghost, actually got a restraining order. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't so friendly after that. <laughs> ghost man. Um, so those are my verdicts. Wow. Baphometer Very verdicts. cool. Very cool. Very cool verdicts, man. I like it. You're doing your thing. You're yeah. masturbating I while did, delivering them. I did what I wilt. You uh, you self-actualized while delivering those those verdicts. And, I'm going to uh, self-actualize. Oh! <laughs> I'm watching a sex scene in a movie with my parents and I'm going to self-actualize on the couch. Oh, no. I'm going to have to tell them I peed. <laughs> oh, my God. I was wearing basketball shorts at the time, so it all leaked <laughs> to the couch. Uh, all right. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm kind of on the same wavelength as you, but a little different. <laughs> um, I'm on the same wavelength as you, but I'm not. Okay. I think I'm going to say for the whole spy spiel, um, yeah, I'm going to go with plausible plus plus. Okay. Which I don't remember where that is on the scale. It plausible might be plus plus is like just past halfway on the green. Okay. okay. So, so it's, it's below like, highly, but above plausible right. plus and a half. Right. It's more, yeah. I don't know that there is a plausible plus and a half. There's plausible plus, I think, then plausible plus plus. There's whatever we want. This is our fucking scale. Verdict how thou wilt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Plausible plus plus. And I'll tell you why, because I want this. Uh, you'll see in the end. It will all make sense. I do. I do honestly like I do honestly think that like he probably was working with the intelligence in some capacity. It would have afforded. I mean, he was rich. He was an aristocrat. So he would have had the familial connections were probably there. Maybe. I don't know. He, he was well aware of a lot of secret organizations. He was part of, like, eh, not a secret organization, but like a you organization on the fringe. Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot of people at that time would have publicly displayed that they were into the occult. Because yeah. as you can see, uh, just the fact that he was bisexual got him, uh, you know, kicked out of a lot of places and, and, and you know, stuff like that. So, um, you know, these were like a secret society, secret fraternal organizations. I can very much see an intelligence agent being like, you know what? This guy would be an asset because we could plausible plausibility. We could de plausibly <laughs> deny the shit out of anything that comes out of his mouth Yeah, because he's, he's Alistair Crowley. He's, 
He said, you, you think you think the British Royal Intelligence Services would employ a, a man having sex magic? A man with gonorrhea? <laughs> and the Queen of England. It's me. I would never. It's me, Queen Victoria. <laughs> oh, never would I in a million years consume a biscuit made from the blood of a child. <laughs> Oh, were it that that biscuit were made from menstrual blood, and then I would consume forthwith. But the blood of a child? I think not. I'm Julia Childs, and today we'll be making menstrual biscuits. All right, we're going to kick it up a notch. We're going to throw some child blood in there. Bam. Throw a little semen in there. Bam. Art was pantomiming master. Art was pantomiming Emerald masturbating into the dish. Now you do got to do Guy Fieri making uh, biscuits. Call your mommy. That's a lot of menstrual blood pastrami. You telling me there's cum in these biscuits? That's gangster. That's righteous. Yeah, but there's eggs in it. I enjoy eating cum and vaginal fluid, but I hate eggs. <laughs> this needs some donkey sauce. <laughs> Listeners, if you're Which not I aware. Which I mean cum of a donkey. <laughs> Listeners, if you're not aware, Guy Fieri, Fieri, uh, he doesn't like eggs. <laughs> Hates eggs. Which is very odd for a chef. Yeah. Um, of his caliber. So, <laughs> uh, like I say, you know, the intelligence community could easily deny anything that comes out of that guy's mouth. Uh, he would be a great asset because he's getting involved in all these fringe societies that they're always keeping track of. He's waffling back and forth on all these different th things. He's, he's pro-Irish, and then he's he's into the Nazis. He's into the communists, but then he hates the Nazis. It's like he's all over the place, for sure. Plausible, plus, plus. Uh, the spirituality stuff, I got to go plausible minus minus. Whoa, okay. Which might be a new verdict. I'm not even sure. <laughs> I got to... I must consult the sacred chart. <laughs> I'm in here. I'm I'm rising through the ranks. Oh of my god! Bunker OTO, and I'm changing all the Justin, rituals. Justin, are you listening? <laughs> Wait. Well, okay. 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 Also, I'm gonna go with plausible anal sex. Andy, we have to have anal sex. <laughs> I'm gonna go with one in the pink, two in the stink. <laughs> the reverse shocker. Okay, two in the stink. So you. Okay, so it's. So here's to the scale. Plausible plus, plausible plus and a half. You were right. And plausible plus plus. Okay. So that's where you are. You were the third degree of plus plausibility. <laughs> and then it's plausible minus, plausible minus and a half, plausible minus minus. So it's not a new verdict. You're oh. the third degree of negativity. There so you, you did I am a uh, verdict. Yes, I'm equal on both sides, and that's what I wanted. Yes, you are truly the Baphomet. I am truly the Baphomet. Behold my tits and my scales. <laughs> and the giant torch on my head. <laughs> That's how Baphomet sounded, right? Yeah. It is me, Baphomet. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I would love it. Ba, love ba, it. Ba, 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 I'm a goat. <laughs> if it's like... If it's like, okay, <laughs> Aleister Crowley is doing all this sex, sex magic, and they like, they're like, whatever, they're coming, and they're orga or orgasming, and they finally like communicate, and they... A god shows up and it's like Peter Griffin or they got some like goofy fucking voice. Like it's Horace, but he's like, hey, it's me. What's up? Hey, it's me, Horace. What are you guys doing? Having sex? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Brian, get a load of this. You're having sex. <laughs> hey, Osiris. 
gotta look at this. <laughs> it's me. I was. <laughs> hey there, it's me, Ra. What's going on down there? Having anal sex? Summon me, Ra. I'm in a wheelchair! I don't know what else this character does! Oh, Peter. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Alistair, you were having anal sex. It's me. Uh, uh, uh. Hermes, the Greek god. You summoned me. Okay, I'm losing Cleveland. Yeah. Okay, so that's losing. the whole joke. Is losing. <laughs> I never had him to be good. That's the whole joke is that he has sex and then they show up and the whole voice cast of Family Guy is how the gods sound. And Alice hey, like, this is like that one time you made that joke. <laughs> hey, Peter, this is like that one time that you were uh, you were the god Horus and Alistair Crowley uh, summoned you through sex magic. Hey, <laughs> get a load of this. <laughs> so what, you guys just have a uh, have, uh, anal sex? Is that what's going on here? Some kind, of, some kind of sex party. Oh, excuse me. Whoa. Sorry. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, sorry. It's like... sorry, I gotta make a pop culture reference now. <laughs> Probably from the seventies or eighties. Hey, nah. There it is. There's ISIS. Pena. Why didn't you tell me they were doing sex magic? <laughs> We owe Seth MacFarlane an apology. <laughs> and a lot of money. We did that too yeah. much. We're getting sued. <laughs> okay, where the fuck was I? Okay, so plausible minus minus for uh, spirituality because I feel like if you... Uh, I mean, to sit here and say that his version of magic is real and any other religion's version of magic isn't, you know, I, I just mm -hmm. feel like you can't really draw that line. Yeah. So I kind of... I do believe that it's it's all probably just ritual and in most aspects it's just ritual um uh you know in most aspects it's just it's just it's ritual but it has a lot of meaning and it should inform your life in some capacity and um now self-actualization like the whole like you know the secret kind of thing the believe it and it will come you know we talked about that on the secret i think that's great to have that positive mental attitude and that can really drive you towards your goals uh, you know, though, do without wealth, little dangerous. Just gotta be careful with it. Uh, in interest of full disclosure, Art, when we did the secret, um, you know, I did a, a week long experiment. That's right. You did where I tried to actualize, uh, getting a check in the mail and hey, I've never received that check. So, uh, in full disclosure, I did not try to have sex every day this past week and visualize <laughs> A check at the moment <laughs> that I orgasm. <laughs> wow. You might not be getting a check or an orgasm, Andy, but you will be getting a cease and desist <laughs> from Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane, yeah. Um, well, Bunkfunkers, send us a cease and desist and let us know what you think about this topic and our verdicts. Did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? I mean, haters, come at us. We know you're going to come at us. We tried our fucking best. 
pronounced it right most of the time. Most of, most of the time. And when we didn't, we corrected it usually. Yeah. Not always. Yeah. We're not perfect. We tried our best. But let us know what you think. Use the hashtag. Hashtag Mountaineer Gossip. <laughs> hashtag Mountaineer Gossip. Uh, 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 hashtag Mountaineer Gossip. And let us know what you think about this topic and our verdicts. Email us, MrBunkerPod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at MrBunkerPod. Log on to our website, MrBunkersConspiracyTime.com. Find us on YouTube by YouTube searching MrBunkerPod or MrBunker or Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. You'll find us. We've got videos on there. Lots of cool stuff. Uh, we'll start uploading episodes again soon. Listen, things are busy right now. <laughs> got a lot going on in the Bunkerverse. <laughs> You've heard about our you've heard about our court trials, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you feel so inclined and you have the means to do so, if you want to support the show and help us in our fight against Mr. Bunker and to keep the lights on, you <laughs> contribute can... to the legal defense, the Art and Andy Legal Defense Fund. That's right. By going to Patreon.com/slash Mr. Bunker Pod. That's right. Um, whew, Andy, this was. Uh, I I feel like a, a post orgasm. Yeah, I need a cigarette. And I need to wipe all this menstrual blood from my chin. You're really into the menstrual blood angle. Oh, I love it. That's I feel the, like the blood of a child is like, that's like, a, like, what the fuck? Oh, that menstrual blood. That's the sauce on this enchilada. Jesus Christ. This old enchilada. Well, for not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my Luna Solar. Oh, perfect. How, how fitting. <laughs> a little bit. Co-host Andy Hart, Armart Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. Mom, 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 mummy, mummy, ma, mom, mummy, ma, ma, mom, mummy, 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 mom, 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 ma, mummy, 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 mummy. What? I love you. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.